all corners of the globe to your ears. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys. Sometimes informative, sometimes controversial, but always unpredictable. It's the Midnight Movie Cowboys podcast with your hosts, Hunter, John, and Stu. And now, on with the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Midnight Movie Cowboys. I am Hunter in Texas, and joining me in uh, the Rocky Mountain High of Colorado with the Aurora Borealis over him is uh, John Gray. Say hello, John. Hello. And in the wild outback of Australia is Mr. Stuart Balk. Say hello, Stu. I am actually at a uh, gay party, and it's a load of fun. (laughs) With a lot of emphasis on the word load. <laughs> it's got it you got your jacket that says uh scorpio rising on the back yeah well i am a scorpio in real life anyway so of yeah. course i've got one yeah there you go and joining us is a returning guest uh you want to introduce yourself yeah my name's dan and i'm john's weird gay friend <laughs> <laughs> that's dan there with the uh with the Kenneth Anger as Saruman uh, uh, avatar. That's, might... that's a current photo. That's a current yes. photo of our <laughs> subject. And uh, listeners might remember Dan from our Doodler episode. Unforgettable. Uh, yeah, mm. it was great. Anytime we need, we have a subject that's weird, that has a lot of like esoteric hidden history, Dan's, Dan's the guy to go to. Um, yeah, it's all gay stuff. Yeah, yeah, really gay. Nah. Esoteric and gay, yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, so actually, our subject is one that, Stu, we actually talked about when we started this show forever ago. This is a 12 and a half year in the making project. We did this before we did our first recording of anything. Yeah. We threw we out some ideas and I said, it. yeah, like the first one, one of the first ones I said, oh, I want to do um, Kenneth Anger's works. And, um, yeah, you know, it was like, what was that? <laughs> July, 2010. And so, you know, yeah, <laughs> March, just, 2023, here we are. We were always like, oh yeah, we'll get around to it eventually. And so, uh, yeah, our subject is Kenneth Anger and, um, Kenneth, Dan, you want to give us our little introduction to Kenneth Anger? Sure. I'm going to give you a little bite-sized biography here. Um, of his life leading up to Fireworks, the first film that we're going to cover. He's an Aquarian born in 1927 uh, in Santa Monica, California, to a nice, normal, middle-class couple, the Anglemeyers. They have three children. He's the youngest, and he's a brat. He's a spoiled brat, and none of his family like him, except... (laughs) For his grandmother, Bertha, on his mother's side, who spoils him rotten. Now, Bertha is also a bit of a sick ticket. She was a costume designer in silent films. And she was a coffee clatch water cooler girl who found out all the dirt about all the stars in the silent era. And then she comes home and tells Kenneth all about it. And those stories will later become Hollywood Babylon. Okay. Um, His childhood interests. John, you'll be interested in this. This is what Kenneth Anger reads as a child. He likes big little books. 
<laughs> he likes big little books because the stories are like the movies. He doesn't like when the book right. doesn't match the movies. His favorite comic strip is Flash Gordon. I think he's got a Ming thing, which comes back in the form of Anton LaVey 40 years later. And yep. he likes Oz books. Now, not the Wizard of Oz like Judy Garland, like the real Oz books, like the L. Frank Baum, like the, a dozen crazy books that he wrote, because they introduced him to uh, the occult. The Oz books are drenched with Rosicrucian symbolism. It's one of the reasons why a lot of Christian groups have wanted them out of libraries for decades. And the Oz books are what turn Kenneth Anger on to the occult. Now, in 1935, this is an important year for him, Grandma takes him to a cattle call at Warner Brothers. They're casting for A Midsummer Night's Dream, the classic Max Reinhardt uh, production. He is chosen to play the little Indian prince. He doesn't have any, uh, any words. He's not, it's a non-speaking role. Uh, there's a lot of debate as to whether this is really him, but I think it is, and so does his uh, biographer, Bill Landis. It's pretty, it's pretty obvious, it's anger. And um, this affects him profoundly. I mean, he's, he's, he has this childhood experience on this. I don't know if you've ever seen A Midsummer Night's Dream, the 1935 version with James Cagney. It's, it's got, mind uh, blowing. Mickey Rooney, right? As... Mickey Rooney is Puck, which is yes. a recurring motif in the films. You'll see Puck appearing. Uh, he has a Puck uh, film company. Uh, this has a big effect on him. Um, he starts making movies. He's inspired now to make movies. His first movie is Ferdinand the Bull in 1937. It's lost. I like this one, Prisoner of Mars. I <laughs> think sounds really good. Yeah. demigods <laughs> these are all lost <laughs> films these are his early student films this young insane proto-demonic spoiled rotten child <laughs> okay now we're leading into fireworks now in the mid-1940s he is arrested for homosexual solicitation probably at the same bar that Stewart's at right now <laughs> in an entrapment scheme the cops in L.A. entrap him and he's arrested. And this is really shocking in like 1945. Right. And his parents, uh, his parents are just totally mortified. You know, they can't deal with this kid anyway. And so he says, I'm leaving home. And grandma says, here's money for an apartment, honey. And she, so he moves off on his own. And he changes his name. He's like, Here, mom and dad, I'm going to change my name. And they go, oh, by all means, do. Please change your name. <laughs> so he goes from becoming from being Kenneth Angelmeyer to changing his name to Kenneth Anger. And he's inspired by the Athletic Model Guild and Physique Pictorial, specifically Ed Fury, the bodybuilder, and peer to Steve Reeves. It's because he likes that kind of that kind of proto-porn type name. And he thought, I'm angry, I'll be anger. So he becomes Kenneth Anger. And it's under that name that he makes his first film that survives today. And this first really important film, which is Fireworks in 1947. You want to take it away, guys? What do you uh, think sure. of Fireworks? So Fireworks, I first saw this in college. Uh, I think in either my... It was either the first film class I took or the avant-garde cinema class. I'm not sure which one I saw it in, 
but it was my introduction to Kenneth Anger. Uh, and, you know, it's it's up there, I think, with like Unshin Andalou or something. It's one of these experimental films that kind of uh, it's it's pretty striking. It's pretty shocking. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it definitely caught my attention. Uh, what about you, Stu? Okay, I first saw this on VHS back in the mid-90s. There was uh, the videotape that said the works of Kenneth Anger with the guy behind me on the front. I thought, oh, mm-hmm. wow, mm-hmm. what a striking image of a guy. I mean, uh, mm. you know, who is this? What is this Anger guy? I know nothing about him. Rented it and said, well, these are strange. Um, for, for the record, there's no dialogue in any Anger films, and he only made short films. No mm, falling right. speeches. There's no dialogue except for fireworks, which has a prologue at the start spoken by anger, which he mm-hmm. says uh, on, I'm going to show you this. This is very important. For those of you out there, please, please, please get this. Oh, fuck. I can't. It is Magic Lantern Cycle on Blu-ray, the complete works of Kenneth Anger, put out by the British Film Institute, BFI. Uh Two discs set I've got, the Blu-ray, which has got all his works in high definition. And the second disc is the documentary about anger, Anger Me. Um, and why I'm raising that is, one, the availability of it out there. And number two is that um, on these works of angers is commentary by anger, which is very important. Yes. He, he never wanted to do commentaries. And the prologue at the start of Fireworks spoken by him he said when he was 17 uh he was 20 when he made this was the only piece of commentary he would ever give on it but you know i'm sure money paid a big part in him doing it for this i've only heard a bit of fireworks commentary not the rest uh but i will go back because i'm sure the things i'm seeing that i got no idea what the hell he's on about which i'm going to get to with my notes later but he obviously knows and he'll divulge some not everything about it so fire, yeah, I saw fireworks. I thought, well, this is interesting. I go, oh, 1947. Shit, this is old. Okay, this is really uh-huh. old. Um, with Angus stuff, I'm gonna say there's some I really like, and some I just think what a complete waste of time. But I'll get to those. <laughs> but they are all important pieces. Nothing he's made is not disposable. Even some of the uh, three minute ones with a guy shining a car, which I think is just fucking stupid. But um hey the ford foundation paid for that so it was a nice payday damn right they did (laughs) we'll get to it yeah um Um, but i I do like fireworks um and i'll give a quick synopsis because i did write these down it's about a sailor now this is this is anger's only black and white uh piece by the way all the rest of color after this uh 1947 fireworks in my cliff notes notes here a sailor who has been injured is rescued by another sailor. The sailor who is saved then wakes up and uh, admires himself in the mirror, then heads to a gents' restroom where he sees even more sailors um, <laughs> who attack him, uh, cut his heart or something like that, uh, then pour milk over his face, which is a metaphor for shit. You guess, <laughs> guess what? Um, yeah. Uh, oh, and the fireworks on the crotch. Uh, was Rodriguez looking at that when he made when he made um from Dust Till Dawn? Maybe, maybe, 
Yeah. yeah, the 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 fireworks in the crotch are a pretty uh, striking image. That and the the big Christmas tree flying in, the floating Christmas tree oh, on his head. All, yeah, and also there's the image of Anger because Anger plays the lead here for the only time in any of his works, where he's lying in bed after he's been injured, and he's got what appears to be a, a boner through the bed sheet, but it's actually. <laughs> Uh, I can't remember what it was. It was it was some sort of? It's like uh, a little tiki. That's yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. I thought that was very funny as well. Um, and he kind of wakes up and he's like, "What? Oh, like he's a." And then he yeah. pulls it up and he's like, but "It's like a carry-on movie." <laughs> oh, it's like Porky's when um, Pee Wee lies in bed with a bone. Only he's got a bone up there. Um. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and like in the commentary, he says that he made this film uh, while he's at his parents' house while they were away for a weekend. That's up, that's up in the air. Like, he, he, the thing about anger is he lies a lot. You can't take anything he well, says at face value. It's, 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 he's not just lying to us. He's also lying to himself. He likes, <laughs> he likes to make things more exciting than they really are. Yeah. I've noticed that about his personality. Mm-hmm. He's a drama queen, and he, he'll tell himself things that aren't true. Keep going. Mm. Um, and there's that image where he like sees that sailor flexing mm. shirt off, <laughs> and apparently he was some like big he was some like teenage bodybuilder in California that he got in there. That's according to Anger. There's um, so many stories about the cast. I'll get to that in a minute. Yeah, he said the sailors uh, were all friends of his as well. Which I mean, you don't know, maybe. Yeah, um, John, what did you think of fireworks? Uh, um, I, I, it's a sort of thing that you have to watch it within the context of its time. It's pretty shocking. This was made in what the nineteen mm-hmm. forties, like forty, yeah, forty-seven. I mean, that's yeah. yeah, yeah, that's pretty stunning. And um, I noticed that, like, with the imagery and everything, he seems to inspired a lot of filmmakers that were big with the Gen X film buffs, like yes. Lynch and um, yeah, and those guys and. Even it's like it's like, really there. You can see it. I can. T- I know I think, Lynch must have seen all these. No. Well, yeah. I think even boomers yeah. like uh, Dennis. Like I, well, I don't know if Dennis Hopper was a boomer. He might have been a little older, but I think like you can see it in Dennis Hopper's work. You can see his stuff in, you know, even that new Hollywood generation Scorsese. Scorsese, like, uh, huge yeah. on mm-hmm. anger. He is. Yeah. Um, Paderowski, I think, probably oh, yeah. watched his yeah. stuff. I don't. You know, don't um, put it past him. But yeah, like just the the stuff where he like rips his chest open and you see that dial inside. Uh huh. You know that stuff is that imagery is great. And like when he they stick the fingers up his nose and blood shoots out. I mean, yeah, it's like for 1947. That's pretty intense stuff. Um, but uh, it you know, I was, it, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Oh well, go. I was actually about to ask you something. I was going to say, you know, the 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 story is that anger screened this movie uh it was brought up on obscenity charges but apparently uh alfred yeah. Kinsey saw it and struck up a friendship with him and I yes think bought the first copy Crowley. he bought the first copy his first yes. sale mm-hmm. first customer. yeah he did he did and and not only that but he won it was a victory he won because the uh the uh, judge ruled that hum- hum- you could talk about homosexuality. I mean, the film is not pornographic. No, I mean it's a it's it's erotic, but it's not pornographic. Um, I'm all right. I have a 
I have, yeah, homoerotic. That's what you call it, right? Now, here's here's a few of my notes. Um, to me, this this screams uh, Jean Genet's Carrel, which he claims that he had read already in French in the 1940s. You don't know if it's true or not. It's got a Tom of Finland vibe before Tom of Finland's here in America. You know, it's got that the tight T-shirts on the sailors. Mm-hmm. Regarding the sailors, there's so many stories about the sailors. <laughs> Um, originally he said that they were sailors that he got to be in his movie. And then they said, no, they weren't. They were film students. And now he's saying the last I've heard, he's saying they were film student sailors <laughs> <laughs> that were in his but class. We've met a lot of those. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so there's a lot of, uh, stories and lore uh, on that score. Um, there are different versions of this, uh, not content-wise, mostly, uh, like Stu said, the, the, the uh, intro that Stu has is the, is the new version, which is the original version, which is considered the true version. Um, when it was first released on video and Mystic Fire uh, in the 80s, it had this kind of pinball wizard color title coming up, and, uh, which is very strange since the movie's in black and white. But that one did not have the introduction and the prop that I guess you, you can't say which is the proper one, but the original and the current version has the introduction. Um, I think that the film is really informed by his arrest and his anger at society. Now, he's like pre gay liberation, so he doesn't take it in terms of what about my LGBTQ plus rights? He looks at it as screw the church. Screw the government. He takes a libertarian approach. And I think it's a very masochistic film. I think it's a depiction of gay life at that time. I think it's very telling that he has to burn the photos at the end. You know, the photos of the of the movie that we've seen are in the fireplace and he lights them on fire. Mm. Um, it's, it's symbolic. Also, something else. That there's shots of a real 1940s gay cruising toilet in the middle of it. Did you notice that? No. Where he no. Go, he goes to a mm-hmm. real toilet. There's like it's only on for about five seconds, but it's an important film. It's an important film for a lot of reasons for both uh, the underground film movement and also for the gay uh, movement because it's the first gay movie in America. People say Dan. Um, I was going to go ask yeah. you something. Is Angus seen as some sort of icon amongst? Sort of. Gaming? He's he's yeah. not. He doesn't say the right things. Like okay. I say, he's a libertarian, so he doesn't toe the politically correct line. Okay. Um, I believe he supported the war in Iraq. To give you an idea, <laughs> he's very he's very free thinking. He's very independent and very free thinking. Nothing wrong with that. I have that. something else to add about this. Cocteau sees the movie and he becomes a fan. Cocteau becomes a fan of anger, and that leads to a whole lot of other stuff coming up. Um, okay. I mean, in part of that, with uh, anger sort of not being doesn't say the right things. I mean, you know, I think anger's religion is Thelema, correct? He was a right. Crowley follower. In fact, yes. fireworks came out the year Crowley died, if I'm not mistaken. Right. Although he's not a Crowleyite at this point. 
Okay. No, not yet. That's going to come a few years later. Okay. Because there is, is like interested in weird. Yes, the hand. The hand. Yeah, there's a cult stuff in there. And you know the the opening shot. You know it it is kind of like a gay Pieta a little bit. Yes. Like with, yes. You know, there's a lot of yes. kind of. There's even a statue Anger claims he made called the Angry Christ. Like there's a religious right. imagery in it. It reminds me of Genet. I don't know if you've read Genet, but he does that whole kind of uh, uh, homosexual as Christian martyr, homosexual mm-hmm. as a criminal who's uh, who's uh, doomed to suffer in this evil world. And I think there's a lot of that informing it. But you're right. No, he's anti-establishment. He's especially at this point after his arrest, he wants to burn everything down. Mm-hmm. You know, he he's he's he is not part does, has no interest in being part of the system at all. Which um, is so strange because later his later works, which we'll get to very shortly, yeah. Um, don't seem to have the anger in pardon the pun, the anger in his <laughs> works. It just has actually very um uh sort of sedate feel to them. And I, I think he kind of got steeped in this in Thalemite theology but i will get there uh yeah but you know he does meet kenzie and i think kenzie was interested yes. in that and they went they yes. traveled they traveled to the abbey at thelema mm-hmm. um, and they were you know uncovering crowley's weird murals there and stuff like he that. made a movie about it too but it doesn't it hasn't survived yeah if he really um, made it who knows um is there anything to add about fireworks? I've got, I want to introduce... I've got it in oh, my sorry. notes here. I've got my notes here. It, it, very daring for its time. Um, yeah. And Enga has an infatuation for sailors, which is pretty obvious. <laughs> um, he, and likes, I, he likes I, sailors, bikers, and lucifers. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And he was saying that the sailor imagery was inspired by the Zoot Suit riots. Um, Interesting. He said that was an image that was in his head because he saw it in newspapers mm-hmm. a lot as a kid. And uh, so having the sailors with all the whips and chains and stuff, you know, um, remind that that was sort of an image that was burned in his brain from an early age. Has anybody um, got ratings written down for these or they want to give ratings for these as we go along? Um, Sure. Uh, oh. I mean, I, I give it a 10 just as a piece of an icon of uh, avant-garde film. You know, it's, it made a big impression on me when I saw it. So 10 out of 10. Okay. Well, yeah. That's that's a, it's, it's not a perfect high. film, but it's, it's got a big impact. It's, you know, it packs a punch. Yeah. yeah I understand. It's important. Yeah. It's an important movie. I, I gave it five, but I've actually, after speaking and learning more about it, I'm going to bump, bump it up to a six and a half. It's not to discredit it at all is um, I'm going to go strictly on uh entertainment factor which is sort of you know counterproductive thing to do with anger because you're not going to get entertainment uh, you're going <laughs> to i'm you're gonna, very you're, entertained oh yeah i, I'm, I was, I'm sure you are, yeah I, I i will say i think scorpio rising is extremely entertaining um, i do too we'll get, we'll get there we'll get totally. there yeah. Yeah, um, we'll get there totally um, um what about john john what do you uh, think I of fireworks <laughs> I give it like a seven because um, I admire anything that is able to, it's something we don't see in movies anymore at all, is uh, they manage to make a film that actually looks like a nightmare, you know, yeah, on, interesting. Screen, on, on camera, yeah. just surrealistic, weird stuff. 
Um, there's a lot to admire about that. And I, I, I saw its influence on filmmakers I like. So I was like, yeah, this is this is take it for what it is. Underground film. It's It's pretty damn good. It's interesting, too. Like I think Stuart touched on this earlier. I mean, people call Anger an experimental filmmaker, but in a lot of ways, he's kind of an art filmmaker or he kind of makes film poetry in that we know what we're seeing all the time. It's not like an, like a Stan Brackage where it's a bunch of scribbly lines or you know abstract shapes, you know, with like modern jazz playing in the background. We know that they're sailors. We know that they're going to a toilet. We know all this stuff. So it is representative, and I think that that makes anger more accessible than a lot of the other underground filmmakers. Well, you um, know, because I remember watching yep. uh, in class. I, we watched Kenneth Anger. We watched Maya Darren. Mm -hmm. uh, Lewis Clark and Stan Brakhage. And, you know, with the exception of some of Maya Darren's movies, Lewis Clark is very entertaining, but like stuff like Brakhage felt like that felt like homework to watch, you know, right. Um, that felt like, like watching moth light or something was kind of like, okay, you know, he tapes stuff to a, all right, cool. Wasn't he in cannibal, mm. the musical, you know, that was kind of, funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, but, but kept, watching angers films didn't, you know, a lot of the avant-garde stuff you'd watch, it was like, you know, as my film teacher would say, you're take your movie medicine, you know, it's you're not going to like it, but you need to watch it for these reasons. But the Kenneth Anger stuff, you know, you didn't need to be coerced, really. Mm. No, you don't. And they're also short, thank goodness. They, they, yes. they move along. Yes. Um, um, shall we move along? I think yes. So. Uh, so 1949 Poos moment. This is uh, a frag. You, you see this a lot with anger is it's kind of like an unfinished fragment i guess or he claims you know so, so he says it stars a lady named devon marquis and she's kind of supposed to be i guess a silent movie star this this one like anger kind of has his feet in like you know the occult the gay lifestyle and here this is like the hollywood babylon side where this is the movie yes the movie, the decadent Hollywood side, but it's just kind of a lady with in her home with dresses. It's, it's not as uh, bombastic as fireworks. No. Uh, so uh, Dan, what background do you have on this one? Um, I, we need to meet Her Curtis Harrington. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him. Yes. Um, he was He's in a uh, pleasure dome. He, was he is. He's well, anger is one of his best friends in life, and he meets him as a teenager. He's also an underground, a gay underground filmmaker, and his films are also interesting. However, he veers more into horror than the occult, and uh, he likes Edgar Allan Poe. He is anger's first cameraman, and he helps with filming Puce Moment. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, the, it's it's basically this woman going through dresses, right? And you, there, you, you hear this really great folk music. I love the music by Jonathan Helper. That's the version that I assume you guys heard. Yeah. The original yeah. version had Verdi music, but Jonathan Helper's is the definitive. And you see all these dresses going by. These are dresses designed that these dresses were made and uh, by his grandmother. And uh, so they film that. Curtis Harrington films the dresses, and then we see Yvonne Marquis. Um, I had always thought this was Barbara Lamar, um, but reading about it later, I don't see any evidence of that, although she certainly looks like Barbara Lamar. And we know that Kenneth Anger loved Barbara Lamar, the actress who may or may not have died of a heroin overdose. 
Um, you can find her in Hollywood Babylon in the chapter Heroin Heroines. Um, and, uh, but she certainly looks like Barbara Lamar. <laughs> and uh, he, used a very, he uses a very unique uh, photo, photographic process. I mean, she, she gets up, she puts the dresses up, she put, picks the puce dress. And puce is a very strange color. It looked green on, from one side and kind of a dark purple from the other. And it was very popular in the 1920s, which is why he chose it. Mm. And uh, she gets up and puts on perfume and then she goes to recline and she seems to go on some kind of trip that there's shadows passing over her on, uh, on the uh, divan that she's on. And then suddenly she's outdoors and now she's gotten it together and she's got her Russian wolfhounds and they're going out to, and she's suddenly imperious now, like she's a great star and she's, she's going out uh, to see the town. Um, the whole process is filmed in a very strange way. And apparently how he did it was he didn't have enough money uh, to film, to film the whole se se section. He had, he had only so much film. So he filmed it at a very, very slow speed to preserve the film. And he had her move at a very slow speed. Curtis Harrington only films the clothing in the beginning. Kenneth Anger films most of the film. And so the effect, some people think it's filmed backwards, but it's really, he did it so to approximate the look of silent movies. And it's a very unusual trippy look that this movie has. Mm. I've always liked it. I mean, I'm gay. I like the Hollywood thing. And it's short. I like the music and I like how short it is. And it's kind of the only time you really see Hollywood Babylon in his films, really. Yeah. Yeah. It it's the closest thing you get to that. Um Stuart, I've got to, I've got to get those books. I've got to get those books now. I've never read them. The first oh, one really? is great. The yep. first one is great. The second one is eh, but the first one is definitely worth it. Must buy. Mm. Okay. I'll do yeah. that. And I think it's all true, by the way. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. That what was it? Uh, there, there are people who get very animated. They're like that. You must remember this podcast developed de dedicated a whole season to fact checking Hollywood Babylon. Really? Uh, what a, what a, who cares? I mean, yeah. the book is the book is a book of rumors. He always said it was rumors yeah. and tall tales. I mean, who cares? Yep. Just have fun with it. Oh yeah, I, I feel the same way. Um, and it's nothing the, compared to today with Pizzagate, you know, and oh. Epstein Island and <laughs> small potatoes, you know. Oh, Clark Gable gave a blowjob to get a movie role once. I mean, who cares? How could you say that about Clark Gable? <laughs> he, he was. It, he asserts that like the Gish sisters were lesbian lovers, and oh Jesus! <laughs> yeah. Now, in, in fairness, I think the second book is a lot of trash, but the first book is great. That's I my think the second book was was made for money. That's why it was made. Yeah, you know. and it's just it's just like bits and pieces. It's not that great. Well, it was. Um, okay, it was so good let's enough. Move along. Are, you, are we done? Uh, what did What did John think of Puce moment? <laughs> Not enough martial arts in it. <laughs> now nah, I needed some Shaolin. Um, it's only, I mean, it's six minutes. Uh, I like the color. I like the music. It's got a cool look. You know, it's like a six to me, but there's not much for me to 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 get out of it for six minutes. So it's, it's, it's kind it's of an experiment. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I've got here, I found it dull. But again, I didn't know. As I'm listening to everyone speak here, I'm learning about it. So it's actually increasing my appreciation for it 
Uh, I, found... I have to say, I'm really interested in your guys' opinions. I thought I thought they'd all be like, "This is really gay," but um, they're interesting and nuanced. You guys have interesting oh, views. I'm really I'm really happy about that. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, I. I, I feel the same way about Puce Moment. I like the look of it. I like the colors. I like the music. It doesn't wear out its welcome. Uh, I just wish we kind of got more of the 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 Hollywood, the weird Hollywood side of anger. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only the problem I've the problem I've got with these films is not him. It's me. See, I'm I'm lazy. I want to be spoon fed things, but he's not spoon fed. He's got the the food tucked away. So when he's not doing that. He's making me watch and and try and understand what he's doing, which I'm getting in some and I'm not getting in others. And with Puce Moment, I just thought, eh, it's his old hag. She's trying out some, <laughs> got some dresses. She walks out with her four dogs because there's obviously no husband. Um, <laughs> and I put dull three out of ten. But I will give it, now that I've got more context to it, I'll give it a five. Um, Good for you. Must have been scored later on as Song is not one from the 50s. Definitely. Uh, 40, yeah, 49. But yeah, it's one. Yeah. The song obviously comes much later. On. The original song was, I believe, Verdi. It was opera. Okay. No, it's not so, the one I've got. Shall, shall we move on? Because yes, we got to keep on moving, people. Sure. Mm-hmm. All We're right. off to France. Kenneth is off to France. He's off to he France. He he meets John Cocteau. He meets Colette. He meets Anna East Nin. Now John might remember this in the in the late seventies. Hang on, which one are we doing? Are we doing? Hang on, are we doing Rabbit's Moon? Or are, we're on our way to Rabbit's we're Moon. Uh, Rabbit's we're giving Moon. background to Rabbit's Moon. Okay. Anna, Anna East Nin. He meets Anna East Nin before he does inauguration. Um, but if if you remember. Uh, in the 70s, Anis Nin was suddenly very popular in bookstores with the Delta of Venus and the Little Birds. These were these uh, uh, erotica books that she wrote that the feminists really liked because it's like, see, women can write. And she was a poet and she was a, a, a lover of uh, Henry Miller. The movie Henry and June uh-huh. is about Anis Nin, which I oh, love no. that movie. And you you can't find it anywhere, um, but that she's the main character in that film. And so she's going to prove to be a big influence on anger. Now, he gets a job at the Cinematheque, okay? He's, he's being toasted as a darling because he has the kiss, the blessing of Jean Cocteau. So he gets a, jo- a job at Cinematheque, and he starts writing for Cahiers de Cinema when it was still really something. And he meets a couple of guys there. And their names are Jean-Luc Godard and Francois Truffaut. And they never really heard, like his he, they really <laughs> like his stories about Hollywood. And everybody's like, oh, you've got to write those stories about Hollywood gossip down. So he starts writing those in serialized form in Cahier de Cinema, and those become Hollywood Babylon. And uh, he but now this this you know darn well is not true. But to Kenneth Anger claims he helped convince. Godard and Truffaut to make films as well. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so now we're, we're we're on to Rabbit's Moon, nineteen fifty, and I'll I'll give you a spoiler. I hate Rabbit's Moon. <laughs> I, I I hate hate 
Hey, hang, on so which, hang on, which version do you hate? Both? Yeah, there's two them. versions. I prefer the shorter version because I have to watch it less. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Rabbit's Moon's 1950. It's Anger's only film shot on 35 millimeter. Um, looks great on the France. Blu-ray, by the way. What? It looks great on the Blu-ray. Yeah, it it yeah. it's it it's probably yeah it is it's made on a set with these trees uh he uses mimes in the movie it's about kind of the this uh mime reaching up to the moon where there's a japanese rabbit inside of it like the rabbit don't the you hate it go on <laughs> and uh but yeah there's a version that's 16 minutes and uh there's a seven minute version anger made much later for in 1979 for yeah. stan brackage's son's birthday yeah, which he scored to uh, on my notes here. It came in the night by a raincoat. A raincoat, yeah. It scored yeah. twice in the actual film. And yeah. and the earlier version has a bunch of songs about the moon, like doo wop uh, so, stuff. Yeah, John Landis, you know, eat your heart out with American Werewolf, <laughs> you know. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so. So Dan, you hate this movie. <laughs> I hate it. To me, it's it's like him trying to be French. It's so affected. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's like he's got he's got mimes. He's got a Harlequin. You know, it's just so ridiculous. It's so pretentious. It's just, I mean, look at all the other films. They're so dynamic and weird and witchy and sexy. And then you got this pretentious birthday cake in the middle of it. Um, <laughs> the sets are borrowed from Jean-Pierre Melville. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad I'm entertaining. Did you hear that? Jean-Pierre Melville, the director of Bob mm-hmm. Le Flamou, Flambeau, Le Samurai, and Le Sigarou. Yeah. Those were his sets. He filmed mm-hmm. it at his studio. Pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> that was the most interesting yep. thing I found out about this movie. But in all fairness, I only watched about three minutes of it, and then I turned it off. I can't stand <laughs> this film. No. I, I didn't hate it. Um as much as you did. I mean, I didn't. I didn't hate it. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it more than I did Pew's moment. To be honest with you, um, I, I just I like no. the imagery of it. Um, a lot but, of people like it. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say I'm in love with it, but um, I I do prefer the seven minute version as well. It's far more entertaining. I mean, yeah. you know the thing. The thing I kind of like about it, I sort of like the uh, magic lanterny pre-cinema yes. show effects like that i'm a sucker for that stuff so but you're absolutely right when you say he's trying to be french yeah. <laughs> oh he's he's definitely going like you know i'm the cool guy over here so i get to i'm gonna try to be like my french brethren uh uh-huh. john, john... Got, oh, so sorry he's got here it's the first time that we see the puck logo that he uses that yes it works um, and it's the first time that he would do wall-to-wall music for his films. Um, mm. Was he the first guy to ever do that sort of just wall? Yeah, he, he was. Yeah, I like, thought so. Uh, as far David- as I know, um, no, okay. I, I don't, um, they uh, his films are basically silent films. He saw them as silent films. He's still in Hollywood Babylon land, and he's making silence. Um, he's definitely the first to do use pop music like that um and we're going to get to that even more so in scorpio rising but yeah you're right i mean it's wall-to-wall music and uh it's pretty effective i think uh, it's one of the reasons why his films are so entertaining Mm -hmm. Uh, 
the famous uh, fashion photographer David LaChapelle uh, said that Kenneth Anger is the father of the music video. You know, he Scorsese said, that, said the same oh, yeah. thing as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, John, what did you think of Rabbit's Moon? It's um, it's like a one B uh, melee film, and yeah. um, I guess on that level, it kind of succeeds, but it's it's like a five, you know. It's an imitation of the French silent movies from the early 1900s. It ran like 10 minutes and just had fantasy imagery, which mm-hmm. they're, they're far more, impre- the ones I've seen are far more impressive than what anger does here. But yeah. I do, I do think the, um, the whole thing about it being shot on Melville sets is pretty cool. Cause uh, Melville is a, a favorite director of mine. Yeah, I, I thought so. When I was reading about that, I knew that you'd like those. Um, I, I think that also something else that's interesting is that the sets evoke Midsummer Night's Dream, which is something else about it. It kind of that connects was the first, to that. That was the first thing I thought of when I saw the stills from it was this looks like a Midsummer Night's Dream um, mm-hmm. movie that he's credited with being in. <clears throat> Do the French um, see anger as an auteur? I believe so. They do? I believe I so. Hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, anything so else move on, on? Yeah, let's move on to 1953. Uh, Dan, take Oda it away. Oda Artifice. Oda Artifice. Uh, basically, uh, what was it? He Kenneth called this water games. <laughs> a lot of it's a lot of footage of fountains and uh, lady running around in. Uh, around the fountains was there waterfalls uh, also, in there was there? i didn't see any hmm. strange i didn't see Lots any waterfalls. Of fountains. actually that this was actually fountains. the original yeah. music video for the tlc song don't go chasing waterfalls or <laughs> <laughs> well, the paul mccartney one as well <laughs> um, all right i've got here in my notes a bizarre 13 minute film of two people dressed in ancient times uh with a lot of fountains um, the least, another vis- French the, one. The least visually entertaining of Angus films are put as well. I used to agree um, with you, but now I kind of like it more. Um, you know, it is what? Oh, I was just gonna say when I I when I first was watching it, I was like, oh, I hate this. But then it grew on me. It had like a hypnotic quality that yeah, I, it does. Like the 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 thing of it is, um, they're supposed to be like a like Marie Antoinette and Louis the Fourteenth type period. Hmm. Here's something that'll make you look at it in a totally different way. In fact, you might want to watch it again. The woman is a midget. Yes. He, uh, really? Yes, she is. Carmilla Salvatorelli. He, uh, he used a midget to make the backgrounds look bigger. <laughs> I'm serious. And, and what was it? According to Wikipedia, uh, he met her through Fellini, which tracks. Uh, yes. Yeah. Oh, he's friends with Fellini, too. Sense. He's true. It's true. You know, I mean, yeah. we can we can say, oh, yeah, right. He knows Fellini. He did know Fellini. You know, I mean, he knows everybody of that period. And uh, I think this one was shot in Italy in Tivoli, uh, according to. It would make sense. I hadn't heard that, but it would make sense. We should say it's also it has a Vivaldi's winter movement from the Four Seasons. I think that he's refining his craft here. craft here. I think it's an experiment. But I think that, I mean, you compare the, the water, the, the, the photography of the water, the movement, it's much more sophisticated than Rabbit's Moon, which is mm-hmm. very staged. 
it's like a puppet show. And this is like he's getting into the elements and he's filming at night. And uh, I, I don't know how entertaining that is. I find it hypnotic as well. And I do kind of like it more than I used to. It's not my top five, but I do like it more. Yeah. So that's what I, I have on it. I used to just think of this as a throwaway, but I don't anymore. Um, I, I I like the the look of it, the hypnotic quality. And, you know, and I remember it kind of when you sort of see her open the fan and there's the yes. colors in yellow, like that, that's a yes. moment, you know, it's pretty cool. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, John, any thoughts on Oda Artifice? It just kind of is what it is, you know, maybe uh, <laughs> obviously a big influence on like, I guess what you would say, music videos, that type of imagery, using the music and everything. Mm. It's like he's he made more interesting stuff like it got more interesting as I started digging it, through. these. It gets more interesting from the next part. one onwards. Yes. Yeah. Once we get the anger and he's sick in, in the 60s, not his 60s, the 60s is when it really takes off. Yes, let's let's start going there, shall we? Yeah, okay. let's go to the one I know you're eager to get to. Inauguration. Oh, I'm eager to get the... to. Uh, and, uh, well, the, yeah, I like that one a lot. There's a lot, but my favorite, my favorites are the sexy boys, those devil boys. <laughs> um, <laughs> re- he returns to America. He moves in with Samson DeBeer. I forgot to add, Samson DeBeer is this old queen, old school <laughs> Hollywood queen who's a generation older than Anger. And he invested in real estate at the right time and has all these properties. And he, uh, he, he they filmed, uh, uh, the, the Puce Moment is filmed at his house. And they're also going to film Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome at his house. This guy is a real character. And he bought all of, the, all of his furnishings were bought at auctions from the Hollywood studios. He got it for a song. So he's living like uh, Kublai Khan, this crazy, crazy man. And he's very eccentric, and he loves Kenneth Anger, and he gives Kenneth Anger a place to live. Kenneth Anger is basically a beggar who relies on the kindness of strangers. Uh, he and Curtis Harrington become involved with Matt Marjorie Cameron at this point, who will become the star of Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. Are we ready for Marjorie Cameron? Is everybody sitting down? Mm-hmm. Marjorie Cameron, or Cameron, she's the redheaded woman in Inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. She is the Scarlet Woman. She's billed as that in the film, and she's billed as that in real life. Marjorie Cameron looks like a combination of Leslie Caron and Pan, um, the god Pan. She has, uh, she's in another movie called uh, Wormwood Star, where her eye, eyebrows are like Vulcan. I mean, she looks, <laughs> she looks so weird and otherworldly. Now, supposedly, listen to this. We're getting in. We're getting into Thelema now. Okay. Um, supposedly, she's not even human. Jack Parsons, the rocket scientist and early member of the OTO, and his good friend L. Ron Hubbard, who later found Scientology, of course, <laughs> they perform something called the Babylon working. Right. Now, this is not Hollywood Babylon with a Y. This is Babylon, B-A-B-A-B-A-B-A-L-O-N. This is the whore of Babylon from the Bible. She is a goddess. She's a goddess of sexuality. She is the ultimate monster woman. And they perform sex magic. Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard, I'm hoping with other people. 
and they perform this series of sex magic rituals to create a homunculus that they will bring down the spirit of Babylon to inhabit, right? I'm serious. This is true. And suddenly, after they're finished, Jack Parsons goes home and finds Marjorie Cameron, Cameron sitting on his doorstep. So Jack Parsons and L. Ron Hubbard are convinced that this is the goddess Babylon made flesh on Earth. Okay? Okay? All right. Now, they have a fight, right? Uh, uh, he, L. Ron Hubbard, of course, go on, leaves OTO and goes on to found uh, Church of Scientology. Jack Parsons dies in some say a suspicious accident in 1952, but the guy is a crazy occultist who's experimenting with rocket fuel. So whatever, add it up. But Cameron <laughs> then meets Kenneth Anger and uh, Curtis uh, Harrington, and she becomes friends with them. She introduces Anger. It is she who introduces Anger to Thelema, okay? From mm-hmm. now on, Kenneth Anger's films will contain spells in them, okay? Mm. Starting with inauguration of the Pleasure Dome, he he includes, he works spells through the films, okay? He is now fully converted to Thelema and studying to become a magician. We are now in 1954, inauguration of the Pleasure Dome. Go. Is this 54, is it? Mm-hmm. That's what I said. Oh, 54. If I said something else, it's 54. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was 1963. Okay, my mistake. No. Shit. No. Okay, no idea it was that early. But yeah, uh, this movie's, it's, there's a lot of, uh, it opens with, I guess, Samson Debreer. Is he playing Crowley yes. at the beginning? Um, he plays several parts, and I yeah. lose track. Yeah, um, it's, he hard, plays, it's He hard. plays Shiva, Osiris, Nero, Gagliostro, and Crowley. Yeah. And it's hard to keep... This is such an esoteric movie, it's hard to know what's yes. going on. Mm. Um, Listen, I think it's best to just look at it as a party with all of them showing up and then performing a crazy ritual. That's the way I've always looked at yeah, it. That's what I've got yeah. my mind here. This is Anger's first foray into Satanism on film. Um. And... <laughs> And uh, it opens with Debreer like swallowing jewels. Yeah, there's a lot of a lot of sw- this is a recurring thing in his movies. His more occult films is the he swallows jewels and and there's a lot of rings, mm-hmm. um, colorful robes. Um, but this one has a lot of makeup. Uh, Marjorie Cameron <laughs> shows up, but later she plays Kali, and she has a pretty terrifying uh, mask on her mouth mm-hmm. that makes her mouth really big. Um, that's pretty unsettling. And Curtis Harrington plays Caesar the Sleepwalker from Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Cesare. Uh, I learned that this... that's how it's pronounced. Oh, Cesare. okay. Uh, I thought it was Caesar too. Hunter, I always thought it was Caesar. Me no, too. I no, when it's the e on, it's Cesare when the E on the end, yeah. yeah. Um, we're going to be like the that, first podcast to get it right. <laughs> well, is that, that, is that, have you guys seen that um, that uh, Father Cesare? Who's the that metal no. singer in Italy? No. no? He's got like a, a death metal band. He's, he spouses from the, the Bible and shit in death metal. Hmm. I haven't heard that. Father Chisora. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You got to check that um, out. Yeah. But uh, he also recycles footage from Poo's moment in this. Yes. 
and because I remember watching it and I was going, wait, it's the girl from Post Moment. What's mm. she doing here? There's those dresses. What are the dresses doing? Um, and he also lays over uh, some scenes from Hell from a silent film. Yes. Uh, for the big. And there's a lot of kind of looping recycling footage at the end for the big, like kind of orgy party scene. Um, but uh, yeah, this one, th- this is one that I think it, this is, pro- this is his longest movie. Mm, right. Um, and I find it kind of tough to sit through because it's so out there and weird. Yeah. And, but I've, I've put down, if you're I'm... interested in infernal Hollywood history, it's a, important piece you know yeah, I've, I've got unable to make head to tales of what this is uh the stock images are great uh and runs way too long i like mm. the color mm. yeah yeah and, no and it... i and i also respect the 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 multiple exposures which was very difficult at that time for him to do you know that was an achievement of, of, of a kind that i respect uh, it's not accessible. It is. It is, and it isn't. It's accessible in that it's bizarre, mm-hmm. um, and it's kind of. And it, it's like it's like a, a a come as you are party. It was it was inspired by a come as your madness Halloween party. Um, shall I give a little background into it? Anna Eastman convinced Anger to do it. She wanted him to get back into film, and she came to the Halloween party with a birdcage on her head. And she plays a starter, and that inspired him to do it. Um, most of the characters are from mythology. Here's something else. Anger himself plays Hecate, the god of witchcraft, or Hecate. Who oh, does a, he's a, in this. A okay. dance in the doorway. That's Kenneth Anger under that right. veil. Um, Curtis, Curtis Harrington as Chesterway. I wanted to talk a little bit about Harrington to give him his due because he's a major force in uh, in Anger's personal life, and I think a good force. Uh, you can see a lot of his early films on YouTube. Fragment of Seeking is terrific. Wormwood Star, as I mentioned earlier, from 1956 with Marjorie Cameron. He works with Cameron again in a movie called Night Tide, which you guys probably have seen with Dennis Hopper. Yeah. Um, yeah. That brings him into uh, kind of exploitation films, and he works on... Voyage to the Prehistoric Planet, he directs that, and Queen of Blood for Roger Corman. He's also a exploitation guy. I don't know if you guys knew this. Uh, he directs What's the Matter with Helen with Shelley Winters and Debbie Reynolds. He does Whoever Slew Ma- Annie Rue with Shelley Winters. He does The Killing oh, wow. Kind with uh, Anne Southern. Um, and then he makes TV movies, a lot of classic horror TV movies from the 70s, like How Awful About Alan, and with uh with uh with Norman Bates, uh, Anthony Perkins, mm. uh, Killer Bees with Gloria Swanson. Oh God, Devil I've Dog seen that. From Hell. <laughs> Devil Dog, the Hound from Hell with uh, Yvette Mimieux, which is so great. I mean, Stephen Stephen uh, King stole Cujo from Devil Dog, and he directs a lot of classic '70s TV, like Charlie's Angels and Logan's Run and Wonder Woman and Dynasty. I mean, I wow. thought I thought he was pretty interesting. He's kind of this secret figure, and I had no idea that he had this philosophy and that he's so connected to anger. He's kind of like anger who kind of was more normal and yeah. was able to adapt. Could function in the system. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Wormwood Star is worth seeing, and it's also it's like five minutes. But if you want more Marjorie Cameron, and who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She is such a weird woman. 
I mean, I just am blown away by how bizarre that woman is. But anyway. I got a question. Were, okay. Was there any documentation of the budgets on Angus films? Um, that's a real hazy area. He, 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 never, he's, he never has any money. Um, I don't remember if, in, in, if, if Inauguration got any money from one of the grants. He starts getting grants, and we'll get into that a little bit later because, I mean, I'll tell you right now, he spends all the money right away and then is scraping, trying to scrape money together for film. You know, mm-hmm. like he's got to deliver something. And he irritates a lot of the corporations that give him grants. Um, I don't think like a lot of the uh, conspiracy people think like, oh, they're all in on Satan with him. Um, uh, I don't think that. I think that, that he has he has by this point a pedigree. He's considered a really promising underground filmmaker. He has the support of a lot of famous intellectuals. So it's not unusual for an artist of his caliber to get a grant. Um, and he also really angered a lot of them, you know, over the years. Well, I, lo- I love that he gets a grant from the Ford Foundation and he makes a movie called Custom Car Commandos with three we're Ks. Gonna get to that. Yes. Yes, <laughs> we're going to get to that. Let's, let's go to Scorpio Rising, shall we? 1963. Yes. Scorpio Rising. Uh, this this is uh yeah this is this is this is the good stuff right here um so lead us into this one dan okay before we go before dan starts um i need you when you're doing when you're talking about this to rate the guys who's the hottest one in this because this i put my notes here (laughs) this film features ridiculously good looking guys and this is coming from a straight man as well so (laughs) okay i can tell you my favorites I don't. Right. I need to remember the songs, but anyway, go on. I don't. I don't. I think. I think Stewart should do this because I think he's better at describing them than I am. Describing <laughs> what? <laughs> the the, the films. Oh. Give us okay. a synopsis of Scorpio okay. Rising. I'll put here his most famous piece of work, groundbreaking and very influential, and influencer after filmmakers first from the first film to feature a wall-to-wall soundtrack of contemporary hits at the time, uh-huh. um, which was hit songs like Heat Wave. Uh, Devil in Disguise by Elvis, which is around 62, I believe. So a lot of these songs were done about a year or two earlier, uh, maybe even that year of 63. Oh, they filmed it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, plot, uh, we see a... Well, sure. We see a... Oh, no, my handwriting's terrible. Uh, we see a group of leather-clad ca- leather men getting ready for a party. Different men, different... Um, different settings uh images of swastikas jesus james dean and marlon brando throughout uh men all go to the party with what now what would you call that sort of party where they go in it's not the normal it's a halloween, halloween party halloween it's party. just a halloween party is it okay. yeah mm-hmm. okay um yeah and that's basically it it runs 28 minutes and um yeah and and the opening of this with the uh biker with the jacket, which says Scorpio rising, and it just and it pans up, pans down. Scorpio rising uh-huh. says Kenneth Anger. I think is absolutely brilliant, and uh, yeah. the fellow behind me is in that in this film as well. Yeah, um, yeah, I can see why it's so influential as well. But um, yeah, that's all I got to say. Um, There's really not a great deal to. Oh, and the um. Uh, there's a guy. One of the guys at the start is restoring a motorbike, piece mm-hmm. by piece. Yeah, which yes. is pretty cool. 
Yeah, uh, what was it? Kenneth Anger called it uh, folk art, the work they do on their bikes. Mm-hmm. And I think there's kind of a, this is where we see a lot of uh, Anger's imagery of man fusing with machine, uh, mm-hmm. man as a robot. Um, you even see this in lesser works like Mouse Heaven. Um, but, you know, there's this sort of, shiny and chrome the the guys sort of are one with it and you see this in custom car commandos uh but there is yeah. this sort of man as a machine theme well, it's fetishistic it's, mm-hmm. it's it's like it reminds me of jg ballard's crash yeah yeah you know the the fetish with the with the cars and the chrome and yeah, it's very fetish. In fact, in fact, the beginning sequence when we first when we first uh, see the film, he seems just as interested in the boots and the chains and the gears and the chrome as he is with the guys. Yeah, in the camera. And Anger tr- was claiming that a lot of that was kind of almost documentary. He goes, "I was just filming what was there. I didn't stage yeah, anything." I know. I have. Um, I have a lot on that. Yeah. How about you, John? He, what are your thoughts on Scorpio Rising? <laughs> well, he seemed to have uh, made the sort of the um, the building blocks for the prototype for all the AIP biker movies that would have like montages of the bikes and the quick cut mm-hmm. shots of the leather and everything and the, the German war medals that they would always put on their their outfits and everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. tons of Nazi imagery in this. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. The music's great. It's like the best soundtrack you'll ever hear anywhere. And this, yeah, this has never so been too. released. Never been released as a soundtrack ever. You can find it on YouTube though. There's lots you can, of playlists but up. as yeah. an official release on a vinyl or a right. CD or ain't never been released. Right. And this is screaming out for a release as a soundtrack. The soundtrack so is really remarkable. Oh. The, um, he's, this he's... is his biggest success at that time. And it's considered a seminal underground film. It was also a critical success and it was a commercial success. Um, you know, it, it, it was at, by this point the although it, although i should say it didn't really get a full release until 65 i believe because it was uh illegal at first i shut it down in 63 um, it's got you see penises in it at, mm-hmm. during that party like there's the a couple like... shots quick shots yeah the guy with a skeleton with his with his with his uh dick hanging out yes. and i love this scene I love the scene where the guy moons at the party where the guy moons and then the guy jumps him with his yeah. dick out. Yeah. That's a great, that's a great scene. <laughs> um, <laughs> this movie is a huge influence on David Lynch and Martin Scorsese. I oh mean, yeah. David Lynch basically play, play pays homage at the beginning of blue velvet to this mm-hmm. movie. Yeah. Um, yep. And he's using, he's mm-hmm. using both of them are big, users of the pop music with their films and to push the narrative along scorsese both they're both open about this too scorsese said he watched this movie repeatedly at illegal showings uh in new york at the time and that it really influenced him he said that it totally uh defied what he was learning in drama in uh, film school they said oh you have to have a real score you can't use popular music and he says wait a minute this guy's doing it. And of course, he starts doing it in Mean Streets. Yeah, All yeah. of his films have some sequence with a pop song mm-hmm. in it. Good fellas. Um, yeah. Even yeah, who's that knocking at my them. door has has pop music in it. It does, yeah. Me, mean Streets more so. 
a oh, lot Mean Streets more. was we, Mean Streets had the stones and stuff, so it's like screaming oh, yeah. at you. That's right. Um, but he also said he also said it was interesting, and as he talks he talks about it, I believe, in the uh, Landis biography um, about how it fascinated him that there was never a problem with the rights to the music. Even Elvis, you know, and people, that's incredible. I know it's like they didn't care. And I mean, at that time, I guess it was just like a smaller business or something. But well, they I mean, you think didn't... they'd be all over that. Well, like if if the if it was unusual to put pop songs in in films, there probably wasn't this big legal apparatus around it. They were probably just like, right. oh, whatever. You know, this is this isn't yeah. something that's serious. I don't think you know? I don't think Elvis saw this because he would have watched and said, "Hey, man." Always man. Hey man, you think the colonel? You think the colonel will let me uh, dress up like a skeleton with my wiener hanging out? <laughs> oh, I'm sure Elvis would have been a big hit at this party. I'm sure, but oh, he would have been the star. <laughs> now, um, this a lot of people say that this is the first music video. Like this one is really the modern music video, you know, mm-hmm. with modern pop and. Uh, they're also kind of like sequential, like each one's slightly different, each sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to point something out as a, as a comic as a comic strip band. I love the homoerotic comic strips that they use, and it's very they're chosen very selectively. Mm. Yes, um, there's there's uh, Scorpio is reading uh, Dondi, and uh, this older man says, "Gosh, it sure would be nice to live with you, Dondi." Yeah. And Dondi says. <laughs> Why don't you move in with me? And the old man says, Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> then we get we got Lucy little misogyny. Lucy like you know smacks Charlie Brown. But then we get the best, which is this these scenes from little Abner with uh with uh Abner Jr., you know, little Abner Jr., the son with this little engine boy, mm-hmm. and they're walking along arm in arm. And they say, people think we're different than them, but we're just yes. a little bit dirtier. That's all. They're just a little dirtier. <laughs> and our folks, our folks won't let us be together and all this stuff. I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah. I'm going to circle back to Scorpio later because I have a lot of uh, Scorpio. I'm going to circle around later after we recovered Morse ground, but. Okay. And I've got a question. How important is this amongst gay men? Not... I think Scorpio Rising is probably the most important one. Okay. Um, yeah. This 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 film really broke down gay censorship bill, uh, rules, mm. um, and it was a, it was an early big underground film hit. You know, this one, uh, Flaming Creatures by Jack Smith, a lot of the early Warhol. The and and, you, and again, you could go to it, and it was fun, and it was sexy, and it was color. And it was accessible, and people liked it. You know, it, it was—it's always been popular. It's always about, been popular. Uh, what about uh, John Waters' work, early work? Um, I can see some of that. I can see some of that, especially like in uh, uh, Mondo Trasho. Mm. You know, um, some of that stuff. His like uh, Hag in a Black Leather Jacket. Those early films—they are kind of. Uh, anger-esque although i think he's primarily influenced by warhol yeah okay he's a big warhol fan all right and apparently warhol and anger hate each hated each other (laughs) i wonder why (laughs) yeah they're jealous they were they were the two biggest underground filmmakers and and of course warhol had a new underground movie every other day Mm. yeah you know (laughs) 
He just yeah, like factory. set up a camera, just let it get it get it rolling and film whatever it is, you know, then release it as tabletop or easy chair. What <laughs> I watched a, <laughs> I watched an interview with Paul Morrissey where he just trashed Warhol, said he said he couldn't he was he wasn't a real artist, couldn't Actually, do anything. I think I like John Warhol. John Waters <laughs> said he's the only person who sat through all of the twenty four hour movie <laughs> Warhol. Which oh, I wouldn't Empire. Yeah, whatever it's Empire. called. Empire. Yeah, yeah. That's the, the one where he just he, he films the Empire State Building. But that's another whole. That's 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 a that's a another uh, rabbit hole. Warhol. So yeah. Let's go on to Custom Car Commandos. Well, hold on. You didn't, you didn't tell me your favorite. You didn't tell me your favorite. Oh, okay. Let me tell you my favorites. Are you still there? <laughs> um, hang on a second. I got a plug in my pluggy. <laughs> um, who do I like? I like uh, I like the Brando lookalike that you've got there. Okay. Um, I really like the guy with the really wavy dark hair that that falls into his face, and he looks in the mirror. Mm-hmm. He looks in the mirror. Uh, that that guy, I think he's really really hot. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I like Scorpio well enough. I like Scorpio well enough, but I'll tell you a little bit about Scorpio later. Right. Um, I'm trying to think. Those are the ones that I that, that really appealed to me. Um, some of the guys are not that great looking, but some of them are pretty good looking. They're really the first guy's not bad either. The the skinny guy I hate. The blonde, forget him. Oh, the really okay. skinny guy. Okay. It's like what is he doing in there? You know. Uh, I saw <laughs> Anger said that Halloween party scene. He said that uh, he goes he in the commentary he goes. This party's not as gay as it looks. He goes, there were girls here, but they were all behind the camera laughing. That's right. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. You, goes, you'll looks, hear more. When, you, when they leave the scene, it just later. looks gay. <laughs> you'll hear more about that later. Okay. All right. All Custom right. Custom Car Commandos. Custom, Custom Car Commandos. Car, KKK. Custom Car Commandos, which was paid for. 65 paid for by the Ford Foundation. Uh, Stu, give us your uh, your your synopsis of custom car commandos that you have written down. A blonde man spends three minutes shining up an already impossibly shiny car. Uh, three out of ten will appeal to the gay crowd. That was what I put. <laughs> uh, this one is like a music video too. It's got Dream Lover mm-hmm. by the Paris Sisters. Mm-hmm. And, Super. And it's just a guy shining his car, and you know, uh, it was. There, there was a big uh, kind of custom hot rod culture in L.A. at the time. Yes. And, uh, you know, I think Kenneth Anger got like some money from the Ford Foundation. He was going to do a few of those, but he just did one. Um, and he did it at the guy's garage and he put pink up all over the walls, uh, which makes <laughs> which makes everything pop. Oh, it looks uh, great. It yeah, really I, looks I, I really like this film. I think it looks incredible. I love the song. Yeah. Uh, you again it, it you can see Lynch and Scorsese and stuff in it uh just with more and JG Ballard of, of, a, of a guy standing over the car yeah but another the fusing of man and machine again coming in uh it's very fetishistic and the fetish I mean he's using a powder he's using a powder puff it's very campy <laughs> yes he's he's <laughs> polishing his car with a powder puff and the other thing is, is that when he gets in the car, he's just as shiny and polished as the car is. Yes. He's so perfect looking. I, I love that. I like him, and, Stuart. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. I like <laughs> more, more than the Scorpio Rising Boys, huh? Not the, the one that I like is the floppy haired, dark haired Scorpio. But anyway. Okay. Uh, but I, I love that some, too. I have, 
when he's wiping down the car he gets some air on the brush so that it <laughs> it flutters like <laughs> so there's perfect. a great shot when it's like coming up the back yes where it's like here we go we're really going now <laughs> it's John, what did you kinky. think it's Ang- should have made a film called carry on cruising <laughs> it's already been done but that was not it should have been the other version of carry on cruising it could be all just about them and their cars exactly yeah yeah. yeah. John, John, what did you think of custom car commandos? I thought it was kind of a troll. Like when I read about the background, I got money from the Ford Foundation. It's like, yeah. and then he called it custom car commandos in three days. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like he was, it may have been the first troll, you know. <laughs> it's like, but it's, I mean, it's just a three minute bit. It's, uh, boy, again, you can see that music video uh, mm-hmm. root right there just explode. It's like, that's where it they really all looks like a music video. Totally. Yeah. yeah. This is well. This is, uh, in my opinion, and it's pretty blatantly obvious that as of Scorpio rising onwards, this is Angus saying, "I'm gay, and I don't give a shit who fucking knows about it now. I'm just going to show it." And you got it in fireworks, but he went quite yeah. with it after he's the next few fun pieces. With it now he is. He's yeah. having fun with it. Well, he's obviously yeah, older he's now. Not- he's what in his late thirties. It's not this time. serious thing. Like I mean, fireworks is is serious compared to this. Mm. You know. Yeah. I have some stuff about this one. Um, first of all, it was it was a Ford Foundation grant. Listen to how much they gave him, $10,000, which was a lot of money in 1965. Yeah. It was originally supposed to be this thing where he was going to use, like, like that the, the cars were going to symbolize tarot cards or something, or some, some of his uh, Thelema uh, stuff, you know, and they were going to be like these occult things like the Zodiac or whatever, what have you. Hooey. But that, that's what it was supposed to be. But he, again, spent all the money. They were furious. In fact, they stopped giving grants after this. <laughs> Ford did. Um, they're, like, they're like, we're supposed to be getting a film and we're getting a three-minute segment that had nothing to do with the proposal. And they were furious. Now, here's something where you're starting to get into late 60s Kenneth Anger, who is, becomes a very sick ticket. Um, apparently one of the boys who was originally going to be in custom car commandos died in a car accident and Kenneth Anger claimed to have his t-shirt that was covered in his blood and Kenneth used to show that to people and sometimes he'd wear it. He liked to wear oh, it in the God. late 60s when he's tripping on acid. Um, Are we- so, <laughs> Dan, speaking of that, uh in scorpio rising there's a shot of a guy riding his motorcycle around a bend at the end and he eats oh it. yeah we should talk about that you're absolutely right yeah because and- in the dvd anger claims that he died yes oh wow i'm glad yeah, you picked up on that yeah he said the guy died he broke his neck and like but it was weird though, because he has the siren going over the guy's face, and he goes, and he goes, like, right. "Oh, I I filmed that. That's him." And I was like, "It looks very clean." That's I not don't... the same guy. A lot yeah, of people. I didn't... That's that's controversial as to whether or not that really happened. And you know how he is. Yes. Um, it, he may or may not have been killed, but that story didn't exist until the DVD came out. Interesting. Okay. So it may or may not be true. I don't think I don't think it's the same writer at the end. I think that's no, an actor. I think so too. But he was acting on the DVD like that was him, and he was filming him at the site and stuff. And I was going, no, no, <laughs> nonsense. Don't too many that. Red Bulls. 
um but yeah anyway i just that shook that loose and i was like oh we should probably talk about the allegation that that dude was no killed. i'm glad you did because i'd forgotten to, i had that in my notes and i passed over it I, this thing is like a, a novel on my notes it's ridiculous so i'm um, glad that you brought it up so anything else on to... on custom car i commandos? think we're done with kkk okay moving custom on car to commandos no 19th... we're not yet we got we got we got some traveling to do all right let's we do got traveling. a little bit of traveling we got to set this up because he's going to san francisco now he's leaving he's leaving hollywood and leaving new york and he's moving to san francisco and he wants to start filming a movie called lucifer rising okay and so what does he try to do he thinks the best thing to do is to manifest to lucifer by using sex magic like they did with marjorie cameron <laughs> in the 50s so he is going to create a lucifer right now you should know I, i've learned all this about about the, this whole situation that was the dawn of the age of Aquarius, which is the beginning of the age of youth. So Kenneth Anger wants a young, beautiful Lucifer. And he meets Bobby Beausoleil. And he says, this is the manifestation. He believes that Bobby Beausoleil is sent to him by Aleister Crowley or Thoth or Osiris or whatnot. And that he is Lucifer incarnate. Okay. Now, they become friends. And they become roommates. Just mm -hmm. imagine. And they move in. They move <laughs> into the Russian embassy house. But I, I have. I need to work on my chronology because around the same time, he meets Anton Lavey, who will become one of his lifelong friends. And he lives down the street at the Church of Satan. And um, these two become friends instantly. Kenneth and Anton. They get along like a church on fire. They are so. <laughs> They are so pleased with each other. They hate church. They hate Christians. They hate all this stuff. Now, they like to hang out all the time. And Kenneth writes about, talks about it. And uh, this is a great book that I also use as a reference. Uh, Anton LaVey and the Church of Satan by Carl Abrahamson. And uh, Anger is interviewed in it. And he said, oh, he loved hanging out. He lived, he lived with Anton LaVey for a while as well. Of course now, he did. Where's that movie? Where's that movie? Right. I, yes. I want a movie about that so he said he goes it was it was a lot of fun watching movies over there and he said you could hear the lion in the basement jeez <laughs> hear the lion growling and stuff okay and they like to watch movies they especially like to watch movies where everybody in the cast had been a had been a regular at uh scotty bowers gas station sex gas station in hollywood that's a whole story. He had, he had this gay sex service station where all these stars would come in for blowjobs. <laughs> they would give the blowjobs to these guys. And they liked watching movies with those stars in it. And he likes anything. Kenneth, Ang I mean, uh, Anton LaVey likes anything with Edward G. Robinson. He thinks Edward G. Robinson is the ultimate Satanist. And now we have to distinguish there, there are distinctions here. It's like the difference between a Methodist and a Catholic. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anger is a, is a Satanist. I'm not, no, anger is not a Satanist. A, uh, Anton LaVey is a Satanist. Uh, 
the anger, Kenneth Anger, I have to get my cultist straight here. Kenneth Anger is a Thelemite. He follows Aleister Crowley. He considers himself pagan. And Bobby Beausoleil, okay, get this. Bobby Beausoleil is the most normal of the three. Jesus. Yes, he is. <laughs> he's the most normal of them. And he's like, you guys are out of your fucking minds. He doesn't believe any of it, Okay. The only thing that he he likes Kenneth Anger. This is this is Bobby. Bobby's like a fantasy nerd. Bobby likes talking about the gods with Kenneth Anger. And drumroll, please, Oz books. And oh, wow. I love it how the Wizard of Oz is the cause of all this evil. And and he <laughs> likes like fantasy, like Tolkien type guy. He's like a Tolkien type guy. So he's kind of more normal. And he get this. Bobby hates. Anton LaVey. He says he's fat. He's pudgy. He has to wear robes because he's got a fat ass and a big belly and he wears girdles and he's sweaty and greasy. And he's always, his house is filled with plastic. And Bobby Beausoleil, his nickname for Anton LaVey is the plastic devil. That's what he calls him. Amazing. Plastic devil's coming over tonight. Oh, great. So they're living in the Russian uh, the Russian embassy house there on uh, off of Haight-Ashbury. Now, here's something juicy and weird and creepy, because I had to give you something creepy, okay? Bobby tells Landis, Bill Landis, the author of Anger, that Kenneth Anger makes secret movies. He made secret movies, much the way Anna East Nin like, supported herself by writing secret, dirty stories. He makes pornography and other strange films for wealthy people that we don't know about. Okay? I've heard that. I've heard that. I've heard that so there's a whole secret. When Kenneth Anger dies, we're going to find out so much stuff. Okay. He's, never gonna, he's not going to die. Anger's going to outlive all of us. I'm telling you now. <laughs> the, the, only the good die young, right? Yes. So, so he's making secret movies, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But I have to tell you this. Bobby was not the first Lucifer, okay? Now, this is really creepy. Um, the first Lucifer is a, is a child named Godot uh, Palekas. And if you see the movie Mondo Hollywood from 1967, uh, produced and directed by Robert Carl Cohen, it's a Mondo movie, obviously. It's notorious. It's really creepy because it has Jay Sebring is in it Ooh. and Bobby is in it. Bobby Beausoleil plays Cupid in a Greek mythology scene, which is where he got the nickname Cupid that stuck with him continuing into the Manson years. And it introduces these people, Vito and Sue Palakas, who are living apparently in a three-way situation with another hippie called Carl Franzoni. Now, this is pre-hippie. Okay, this is like early to mid 60s, and they're called at this point freakers. And they are experimenting with acid. They have a studio that's designed like a Mayan temple, I believe. And it's kind of like a cult, and they teach dance and sculpting there. And they have orgies there, and they're very weird. And they're hired by the birds and the band Love and Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention to dance at these hippie parties, right? And they have this son, Godot, who has long blonde hair, who Kenneth Anger fell in love with and wanted him to play 
uh, Lucifer. But unfortunately, Godot dies a mysterious death. Okay. Happens a lot around people. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, he, and they you don't know, know his age. On, before you go on, you know who die around? Everyone dies around Kenneth Anger. Everyone dies around John. <laughs> John mentioned the same and the person's dead. You know what will happen? We'll do this episode. Anger will be dead next week. <laughs> I, I, I ha- John actually has been conferred the title of Lucifer by Kenneth Anger. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> He's a lot like him. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, so... Anyway, Godot is this little, he's in, Godot is in Mondo Hollywood, and he looks like he's three years old. Um, but there's all these different stories as to how this kid dies. Some people say he was tripping on acid. Apparently, they gave the kid acid from the very young age, right? Uh, some people say he walked through a skylight. Some people say he fell through like an open uh, door in the ceiling that he fell through. But there's this is where it gets kind of weird, and it connects to those secret movies, and it also connects to his filming and the missing footage of uh, uh, Lucifer Rising. Pamela DeBarris, who is one of the hippie women, she contends that Godot died in a wacky photo session, quote-unquote, on the rooftop, and that that's when he fell through, and so that it was filmed. His death was filmed. Now, here's where it gets even weirder. The, ne- the day that the kid dies, the weird hippie parents, they go out dancing. And people Good say, Lord. where's your little boy? And they say, oh, he died this afternoon. What the fuck? Yeah. These are the people that, he's, that are involved in this scene. Um, mm-hmm. So Anger starts raising funds for Lucifer Rising. And he, start, he charges, like, he, he gives a, a poster. I, I sent this poster to John and Hunter. The original poster by Rick Geary, the San Francisco underground cartoonist. And they sold those as prints and he had like a little gold plated box and people gave, I don't know, $200 or whatever to help raise money for this film. Because, you know, the Ford Foundation is not going to help at this point. <laughs> but the shit hits the fan. You know, Bobby, Bobby, uh, they, they, he, he and Bobby fight all the time. Bobby goes down to uh, Los Angeles. The rest is history. And uh, but then in 1969, we get what was originally going to be Lucifer Rising, but now it's been changed into being called uh, Invocation of My Demon Brother. Before we get into go. that, I'm just going to say all of a sudden, Jerry Lewis's The Daily Clown Cry doesn't seem like shit compared to the stuff Angus got hidden away after he died. <laughs> <laughs> this is all documented, man. Oh, wow. I'm being honest. They don't know what happened. Okay. But yeah, yeah. it's all true. All right. Invocation, Invocation of my demon brother. Invocation of my demon brother. Uh, give me your uh, synopsis, Stu. All right. Satanic imagery abound. I've put uh, an albino albino sits in front of the Pakistan flag um, for some reason. I don't know why the Pakistan flag's there. Uh, it's got images of swastikas, naked men, uh, a satanic ritual, footage of LaVey. Uh, the Rolling Stones at Hyde Park as well is interspliced near very quickly. Uh, final note I've put in here. Final notes I put sounds credited to uh, credits to uh, credits of sounds by Mick Jagger. I put if this is the best he can do, then stick to singing because the sounds were <laughs> shit. Uh, it was annoying, and uh, I also put finally the only thing missing from this is Sammy Davis Jr. Um, yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> um, so Anger said that Kent that uh, Mick had just gotten a Moog synthesizer. Yeah. And he goes, and this was his first time playing it. And yeah, I've got a Moog. Come <laughs> <laughs> on, you were saying on track, Kenneth. Kenneth. And I, 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 what I wrote in my thing for this was Kenneth Anger hearing Jimmy Page's Lucifer Rising soundtrack. Terrible. Jimmy doesn't have it anymore. Listen, Kenneth Anger listening to Mick Jagger play the same note over and over again. Yo, that's it. <laughs> and then Jimmy Page does a Death Wish 2 soundtrack and says, oh, shit, he can. He's still got it. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, this one, um, it's got Bobby Boussoulet in it as, you know. Yes. And he's, I, I didn't know it was him the first time I saw it. Yeah, yeah he's throughout him. the whole thing, too. Yeah. Um. And uh, yeah, but yeah, Anton LaVey shows up for a minute, but you kind of see bits of this ritual angers in this one doing that, performing that ritual. Oh. Mm -hmm. It's a, some Thelemite ritual. Um, but yeah, this one's kind of, kind of grating, even though it's really short, just because the soundtrack is so. That is in, yeah, that is 10 minutes of insufferable. I find this one unnerving. I find this one frightening. It is frightening. But, oh, yeah. but good, but frightening. Mm. Uh it it is fright. I think the imagery in it is pretty disturbing. Um, oh yeah, without know, a doubt. Even though it gets it gets silly at moments. Like I laughed when Anton Lavey showed up, but but it does <laughs> have a devil. certain like it it does feel like you're watching. Like you said, he puts spells in his movies. This one probably yes. feels the most like a spell. I um, think that this one is a curse. You reckon? I think there's a curse in it. Yeah, I do. I think that the, he's putting a curse in this one. I don't know who. Too, but I get a definite negative, negative vibe from it. Go on. What did John think of it? Oh, this might have been the curse he put on Jane Mansfield, or was she dead by then? No, uh, Anton did that. Oh, Anton. he put okay. a curse on Bobby. He put a curse on Bobby. Did he? Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I've seen. Um, there's a lot of uh, exploitation movies about Satanism and such that were put out by companies like Something Weird Video, and they all lifted scenes from this all of them mm -hmm. it's like mm -hmm. the, the whole like the the wall with the eye painting or whatever it is and everything it's like they all would apparently a lot of filmmakers got to take a look at this and steal things from it and, and it then was the popular. church of satan yeah yeah and then the church of satan i mean they allowed a lot of their rituals to be filmed for the later mondo type of movies and everything you know um the titles escape me but i know i've seen them like there's documentaries on satanism Satanus. from like 1970 71 you know what they yeah do? yeah yeah so that's one of them we I should used do... to have the snap case something weird dvd we should do an mmc remix of this and take away that horrible mick jagger soundtrack and just score it with like king diamond and merciful fate stuff for 10 <laughs> minutes <laughs> or put satan's fall we'll just do that well, well i've noticed when people when people upload this to YouTube, a lot of them pull the soundtrack out and put something else over it. I like um, the soundtrack, but I do, I can see why it's grating, but to me, that's why it's unnerving because it is kind of, it gets under your skin. It's irritating as mm -hmm. it goes on and on. Uh, and the imagery is not, it's not comforting at all. It's very disturbing, but I, I like that about it. Um, I got um, a lot Bobby to say about this like one. Bobby Boussoulet's like torso with like the arms. Yes. Ugh. Yes. <laughs> um there's a couple things you're missing like the dead cat where they burn the cat the dead yeah. cat 
Was that oh, real? Because yeah. I was going, yeah. I was going, who claims it's real? Yeah, yeah, mm. supposedly real, but you know, is it or not? Is, is that Angus? Is it memorized? Is that Angus, um, gay side coming out saying death to pussy? <laughs> <laughs> oh, still. <laughs> um, let's see uh the people the what 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 uh hunter talked about the anger on stage that's uh bobby had a rock band and uh it's called the mighty powerhouse of oz okay. oh wow yes yeah, the insane. mighty powerhouse of us also called the magic powerhouse of oz too i've heard it called that too magic with a ck um and uh the people in the house uh, coming down the stairs in the beginning uh, when they're passing the pot around the woman is Lenore Candle, who is an s and poetess. She wrote sadomasochistic poetry and the people coming down the procession. At first, I had heard that they were the founding members of the Church of Satan. They are not. They are the members of the mighty powerhouse of Oz. Okay. Oh. Anton LaVey tries to squeeze through the door. It's, to my knowledge, the only Satanist in the film is Anton LaVey. Okay. Uh, Stewart touched upon Hyde Park. That was filmed two days after the death of Brian Jones. Okay. Yes, yes that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, you can see Anita Pallenberg and Marianne uh, Faithful in the audience. You can also see some of the Hell's Angels that roughed up some people in the crowd there, which was a forerunner for what happened at Altamont. Um, it's a disturbing film. Um, I, I, I've had, a, I've had an ex- a really frightening experience with this film. I was uh, at a friend's house in uh, upstate New York. I, I would drag around those mystic fire tapes everywhere I went in the, in the 80s and ni- late 80s and 90s. And I watched it once all by myself up there. And it was a thunderstorm. You know, you're getting scared. You hear that, that, <laughs> that soundtrack. And things started dropping in the house. And it was probably just the wind. But I was feeling like, these are poltergeists. I'm, I've taken this thing out of here. <laughs> I, think it's an, I think it's an evil film. I like it. But I think it's his most evil film. I don't think that there's anything positive in it. And you know it's leading up to the Manson family. You know, I was, was going to ask you, Bobby going on his way to the Manson family. I was going to ask you, did did Anger ever cross paths with Manson himself? Is there's there any... stories, but there is. Okay. There's stories, but um, but um, I mean, and, and to talk a little bit about that, I don't want to get too into that. Um, but Bobby, he um, he was not contrary to popular opinion. He hung out at, at Spawn a little bit. He, he knew the girls there, but he was not really a full-fledged cult member. His problem was that he fell in with the straight Satans, and he thought he was trying to be macho. I would not be surprised if he and Kenneth Anger might have had a few. Uh, maybe, maybe Bobby was uh, willing to uh, indulge a little bit for some extra cash, mm-hmm. you know, and I think he might have had a little masculinity and crisis thing going on because he suddenly wants to be a macho biker, which is totally out of character for him. He gets involved with the straight Satans and he kills Gary Hinman in what is really a drug murder. I mean, everybody says that. Um, but the proximity to Manson means he's in jail for the rest of his life. He really should have been out of jail like 20 or 30 years ago. But because um, it's really just a drug murder, mm. but his he, it's he's stuck, you know, and he's he seems to be a nice guy. 
He helps uh, with Lucifer Rising. He's never had any problem in prison. He admits his problems. And he seems, like I say, to be the most normal person involved, which is really quite saying something. His incarceration is strictly guilt by association. That's all it is. Really? Yeah. I mean, because he didn't do anything with Sharon Tate or anything like that. He didn't think Charlie was God or anything. But we see from everything he says, he's interviewed. Um, he's interviewed extensively in the Landis book, but he's also inter- inter- interviewed extensively in another book that I reread called The Endless American Midnight by Christopher Knowles, who writes a lot about Lucifer Rising and the soundtrack, because we're going to get into Bobby Moore with Lucifer Rising. But L- Bobby just seems like he fell in with the wrong crowd, which also, in fairness to anger, is what anger says. And anger has never supported Charles Manson. Okay. Mm. He's not that bad. No. You know what I mean? No. So, anyway. Wearing the t shirt of a we... dead man covered in blood, but uh, yeah. they're, they're yeah. that child yeah, makes I know. Well, He likes and I know the that, shock. Yeah. I know Bobby was popular with the girls. And so, and yes. kind of Manson wanted him bringing chicks around, basically. Yes. Also, he wasn't involved with them that long. You know, it was only like a year at most. <laughs> it's a hell of a year. <laughs> yeah. Really, my favorite year. Not. <laughs> um, Shall we continue? Yes. Yeah, let's continue on sure. to the uh, Hollywood Babylon comes out in the mid '60s, but it's banned, and the United States it's, it reaches a wide release in 1975, giving Anger his first real financial success. The Hollywood Babylon is number one on the bestseller list, and so he makes uh, some money, you know, that he earned himself. And he uses a lot of that money to finish Lucifer Rising, which basically finished uh, filming in 1972, but isn't released until 1980. Hmm. Thoughts on Lucifer Rising? Stu, what's your what's your uh, synopsis? Wasn't much, uh, as the cat was running around like mag mag girl. She was so I had to catch her. Uh, I put Angus Love Letter to Alistair Crowley, which is pretty obvious. Um, uh-huh. Filmed in Egypt at the Sphinx. I'm guessing um, uh, he, he, I put before that uh, one of the others was his most visually striking, but that was after I had not seen this. Uh, his most visually striking film, which I think it is. Oh, fuck off. Um, feels very much. I like agree. Paul, feels very much like Holy Mountain, only not as weird. Um, yeah. Great yeah. to finally see some tits in a movie. That's what I put <laughs> Well, I look at men schlongs around. I'm like, well, you know, ain't my bag, but yeah, um, we'll finally get some titties. Yeah. Um, John, what did you think? Uh, it definitely, I don't know if Hodorowski got to take a look at it in Rough Cut or something, but it definitely had to have been an influence on Holy Mountain, yeah, which came out in 75. And uh, I was. I also think it it inspired probably if you were to say, okay, what was the biggest influence on music videos of the eighties, particularly those by Russell Mulcahy uh, that he directed uh, uh, this definitely has to be it. Cause I've seen so much of this imagery recycled in music videos, Duran Duran, you know, just a, a, di- different odd singers from, from that era. A band that definitely was taking from this movie was killing joke. Uh, oh, yeah. without a doubt. Killing Joke was yeah. because you we all know Jazz Coleman is insane, steeped in all this stuff. Like he's an occultist. We know <laughs> uh, the the band's performances, like in that Death and Resurrection show, Doc basically said were rituals. You know, um, but uh, 
but I just I when I saw this I was like oh you know the pandemonium music videos and stuff like that where they like recorded and filmed in Egypt and mm-hmm. stuff it's very very much this movie and uh one thing that struck me about this film because you know this is Anger's this, this most ambitious movie it's his uh most expensive looking uh he got Bobby Boussoulet to do the soundtrack from prison uh if you go online you can find the aborted Jimmy Page soundtrack um that was scrapped Jimmy Page appears in the film I believe yes um he does but a fellow Thalemite um but I think uh I think he and Anger didn't get along because Jimmy, no. Jimmy would buy like Crowley relics and then just like keep them and not share them. <laughs> so, <laughs> that made him mad, I guess. But uh, but one thing, Dan, uh, I wanted to pick your brain about was the most striking thing in this movie, I think, is the use of UFO imagery combined with the ancient Egyptian imagery. Right. And, you know, I mean, there was there was no ancient aliens on television yet, you know? Yeah. And not only that, but he filmed a lot of that in 72, even before the popularity of Chariots of the Gods in the mid 70s, although that was out already. Um, Yeah, it's there. Um, This has got a really interesting cast. I'll get to the UFOs in a minute. The cast is interesting. You've got Donald Kamel as Osiris, uh, who, you know, is a director of co-director of performance and Demon Seed and Wide of the Eye and Wild Side. I mean, he's a crazy person. Um, Wild Side is a really interesting film. You can see it on YouTube with uh, uh, I, I watched it because it had, uh, oh, you know, the one who just died uh, with uh, Anne Hesch. Oh. And, uh, and and Christopher Walken. It's a very strange film and very interesting you got Marianne Faithful as Lilith, um, and you got a couple of young studs as the uh, Adept and Lucifer. Uh, so it's an interesting cast. Um, I think that the color in this is really remarkable. There's a sequence called the Human Tarot sequence. It starts where you see Lucifer shuffling the tarot cards where they go room to room, and each room is a different color. To me, this is very evocative of the classic Corman Vincent Price horror film, Mask of Red Death. It really seems inspired by Mask of Red Death, where one room is red and the next one is yellow and the next one is green. And they're going one after another. That that sequence is really striking. Um, Jimmy Page is in it briefly. He has a cameo. Um, There's a lot of really weird occult things in it, as you'd expect. Marianne Faithful is Lilith. There's a scene where she's holding a scarf and crying. That There's blood on the scarf. That's the scarf that she wore when, wore when she attempted suicide a few years earlier. Oh, wow. And he's got her holding the scarf. Um, that's a very strange uh, scene. You're right. Most of it is filmed in Egypt. However, a lot of it is also filmed in Germany. <clears throat> Marianne climbs something called the Extenstein which is Germany's Stonehenge. Those scenes where she's climbing those mountains and they have all the people with the torches climbing those steps at, at nighttime and she crosses that bridge. That's this amazing stone. Uh, uh, is, is stonehenge It's bigger than Stonehenge. It's a spiritual site in Germany popular with pagans. It was a pagan Saxon site originally. It's been used by everything in the book. Um, I think that that's really interesting. Um, 
And I think those scenes are really haunting. There's a lot of haunting stuff in it. Even, even like the subliminal stuff, like the elephant foot stepping on the cobra. Yeah. Um, it was strange. The, the tiger yeah. swimming, the tiger swimming in the water up to his neck. There's really strange, almost Mondo like little shots that are, that are pop up in there. And yeah, the UFO thing at the end is very ancient astronaut. Um, he believes in UFOs, Kenneth Anger. Um, I, I don't know if I mentioned it before, but his anger toward the Scientologists goes back to the Babylon working. It goes back to Marjorie Cameron and Jack Parsons. He's hated Scientology since it first began. He said in an interview that the Scientologists think they rule Hollywood, but pretty soon there's going to be UFOs in the sky and they're going to take it back. I mean, that's the kind of thing that Kenneth Anger says. <laughs> well, and he claims he's written a Hollywood Babylon 3 that is mostly aimed right. at Scientology. But Scientology. He, he claims he doesn't want to put it out because he doesn't want the headache from them. Uh, so hopefully, if it really does exist, you know, maybe it'll come out. I hope it does. After he's dead. I hope it does. Yeah. But uh, he but said there's not a lot just, of stuff he's... about Tom Cruise in there. Yeah, but he's not just one of these people that hates Tom Cruise. He has a deep, profound hatred of Scientology. He hates L. Ron Hubbard on a personal level. Yeah. Um, so it's it goes deep, you know. Yeah. But I know that's gonna have it's it just has pictures of Tom jumping on the couch. Right. Exactly. <laughs> look, at this. look at this. Um I've got I've got I've got a few more things here to wrap up here. 1986 sees the release of the videos. Mystic Fire releases them in the United States. That's when a lot of us first see these films. Um, because prior to that, you just read about them in magazines and you never actually got to see them. Um, I, I, I had an encounter with Ag Anger, a personal encounter with him in the 90s at the Anthology Film Archive. He was selling stills made from his movies and some photographs from his personal collection. I have to take a sip of water here before I go into this nightmare scenario. Mm -hmm. I'm very high on drugs. I'm higher than anger was. Oh, we didn't talk about that in, in that scene in Invocation of My Demon Brother where he's dancing around. He's on LSD. And how about the scene where he latches onto the little boy who looks like Dennis the Menace in the audience? That is so disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, I remember that is going... really creepy. But I'm I'm tripping my I'm tripping my balls off on drugs. I don't know, know what all I was on. I'm sure I was on pot and probably some pills and 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 you know beer and stuff. But I I, I don't think I was on acid uh, at that time or mushrooms. But I might have been. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm with friends and we're at this show in the '90s and most of it I'm just kind of when you first we, it was there's really steep steps in the anthology film archives and as you were greeted there was this giant wall-sized photo of uh, the little prince from Midsummer Night's Dream. That was an amazing reproduction, right? And then you go inside, and most of the photos were just like stills from Scorpio Rising, and you know, but then there's this wall towards the back, <coughs> and there's a large photo, beautiful photo, of Sharon Tate, <clears throat> presumably taken by Roman Polanski, laying down on a grave on the set of Fearless Vampire Killers, right? And it's a disturbing figure. It's a disturbing image because she's pretending she's dead and it's on a grave, you know, and yeah. it's disturbing because it's Sharon Tate. And underneath that, now this is really chilling stuff. Hang on, okay. before you go on, Dan, 
I know who bought that photo, Rob Zombie. Really? I'm Sharon Tate. No, I'm just joking, but he probably did. <laughs> it's probably hanging in his house now. Okay, because get all your jokes out of the way because the next scene is going to make your blood run Carry cold. on. All okay? right, I'm done. I'm done. Underneath the photo of her lying on the grave is a photo of the Tate house the morning of the murders before the police get there. And you can see the light coming through the windows, the golden morning light. I'm totally freaked out by this, right? Totally freaked out. Yeah. And But I'm also stoned out of my mind. And, I, and, I, and as I, I leave, we, we look at it, it's like, is that real? Is that real? Is that real? We, we, and I'm acting all flippant. And I'm going up the stairs. And I fall up the stairs. It's like I'm like pulled up the stairs by an unseen force. You can say I'm on drugs. Who knows? And then another force forces me to my knees at the top of the stairs in front of Kenneth Anger and a group of his friends. And I involuntarily raise my arms to the ceiling and I sing a song of praise in a language I don't know. Okay. I'm drugged. I'm on drugs, okay? I'm on drugs. Mm -hmm. And you know what they do? You know how they respond? No. They're all smiling. And their eyes are glowing. Not like, a, like in Star Wars, but like really like beaming. They're just like, oh, how delightful. And his friends that are there mm -hmm. are like super wealthy. They're like the people at the end of Rosemary's Baby. Where oh. they're like, to Satan, to Satan. Hail Satan. They're like wealthy. This is, these are the people who do the spirit cooking. Okay. These are the people that are going to Epstein. And they're, they're like his benefactors. And they're all looking at me like, oh, how delightful. And so, I am totally freaked out. And I run away. Okay. It was the Ford Foundation <laughs> and Jay Paul. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jay Paul was like I'm his on benefactor. Drugs. I'm on drugs, but it terrifies me. Because, you know, I'm, I'm basically a Christian. I was into all this stuff, and then I hit rock bottom. And I just found that do without wilt doesn't really help you in life. You know, you got to have something else. So I became a little bit more normal mm -hmm. in my belief system. Um, but this photo nagged at me. And then I read the, the Family by Ed Saunders. And I like the family a lot. And he claims in the family that there were people with cameras that were there the morning that people performed rituals, that Hollywood occultists were there in the house after the murder. And they looked around and that the, the maid was not the first one in the house after the murders happened. And that a lot of people were in the house that day. And he also talks about, people talked about how they filmed bizarre occult videos that moved films there, not videos at that time, films that they filmed sex films, private oh sex goodness. films, private occult films. Is Kenneth Anger involved? Was Kenneth Anger involved? How does he have this photo? And I've tried to tell myself, well, maybe it was staged. You know, maybe they created a set and they're actors and it's not the real thing, right? And I'm thinking about this as I'm preparing for this and I read about David Lynch, okay? <clears throat> David Lynch has a similar experience and he wrote about it in his 2018 book, Room to Dream, wherein a veteran LAPD detective, John St. John, takes him out to dinner at Musso and Frank's in uh, Hollywood sometime in the 70s or 80s, and he pulls out a file, and he goes, I have something I want to show you. And the file is a photo of the Black Dahlia. Oh, wow. Dead. 
dead and cut into this this is from his memoir this is not hearsay you know sliced into vivisected and he goes do you notice something and and david lynch says well it's it's the black dahlia you know i've seen this before i it must have been the 80s because anger is the first one to put published photos of that in hollywood babylon too so it must have been the 80s and um he says it's a, he, he goes it's it's the black dahlia and the former police detective says uh you don't get it. You don't get it. And he starts to put it away. And he goes, wait a minute. And he realizes that the photo was taken in the middle of the night. Mm. And that they used a flash to shoot her. But the Black Dahlia's body wasn't found until the morning by the little boy and the father that are walking. That means that there were people that knew about the Black Dahlia there. Who Before the morning. Right, right. And these photos oh. were circulating in Hollywood. So is Ed Saunders right? Is there an underground of sick Hollywood occultists into gruesome things? David Berkowitz, same thing. David Berkowitz claims that, this, that the murder of Stacey Moskowitz was filmed for rich, sick people. And it was implicated by a lot of the th- fans of it, by Maura Terry that Robert Maplethorpe, who is an acolyte of Kenneth Anger, was one of the people who filmed the shooting of Stacey Moskowitz. You know, at that time, you're getting the beginning of Betamax. You know, people are going to watch it in their homes. It's frightening to think about, you know, and it's a mystery. I'm not saying it's certain, but I thought it was appropriate to mention because I want this to be special for your listeners to hear some kind of unusual things that you're not going to hear from anywhere else. Mouse heaven. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i just wanted to touch on mouse heaven because it's uh a later it's just kenneth anger getting paid by j paul getty to play with the mickey mouse toy collection set to pop well, music it's and awful it feels like a student film of somebody trying to imitate kenneth anger a little bit but it feels it like a, it feels like a movie from sesame street like oh it's just awful yeah. Uh, but I just love that it's like J. Paul Getty presents. <laughs> well, I want to bring it. I'm, I'm glad you bring it up because Mel Burncrant, and don't worry, we are heading towards an ending here. Mel Burncrant, uh, Burncrant owns Mouse Heaven. Mouse Heaven is real. And that video, the thing that's so irritating about that movie is it doesn't do it justice. The real Mouse Heaven is spectacular. It's mind-blowing. This, guy's, this guy uh, basically did all the color forms. Remember those toys? The color forms when you're a kid? You know, mm-hmm. those little the toy. Maybe, maybe they didn't have them by the time you guys were around. But anyway, they're a popular toy in the 60s and 70s. And he made a million dollars off of that. And he spent it all buying vintage uh cartoon character toys and collectibles from the 20s and 30s and his collection is mind-blowing <clears throat> and he's a really interesting guy i recommend everybody follow him on facebook he's got a youtube channel the, his videos of just people touring his house are so much better than mouse heaven than that film um mm-hmm. and uh but his he's written about kenneth anger extensively and he gives he gives a lot of um Interesting anecdotes. One that I wanted to share with you as we wrap this up. Um, he talks about how Kenneth Anger would blow through money like a drunken sailor and he'd be having the life of the party and then he'd have nothing and be a homeless person, which is kind of what he still does. Um, and uh, he talked about 
having money and inviting his wife off to Washington, D.C. And it's shortly after the space shuttle crash. And they're going to the premiere of the first IMAX theater at the Smithsonian Air and Space Museum. Mm-hmm. And they're going there. And before the before the uh, film starts, they have a tribute to the astronauts that died in the Challenger disaster. And they and they quote Ronald Reagan that these seven heroes have touched the face of God. And Kenneth Anger stands up in this crowded room of VIPs and he says, fuck that. They kissed the fiery ass of Satan. And he has to be dragged out kicking and screaming out of the Smithsonian. Oh, boy. Okay. That's that's what you're dealing with here. And he... He said that he would that that it was like he was friends with them that they were friends. He loved his wife. He thought his wife was like a goddess, you know, sent from like Thelema or whatever, the typical weirdo stuff. But he would like be really nice and everything and then suddenly he'd go on a drug bender. He like he he still he still parties like it's 1999. He still parties nonstop. Kenneth does drugs, hard drugs. He loves cocaine, he loves LSD. He just, he just, he does whatever. He's just, he's, he's crazy. Okay. That's one thing. It's worth it. It's worth it to check out uh, his stuff. Mel Burkratt stuff. Curtis um, Harrington's funeral. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are we done with mouse heaven? Yeah. I got this. This yeah. is a really good story and we're wrapping it up here. Curtis Harrington's funeral. Okay. 2007. According to John Gilmore. The funeral is held at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. This is Curtis Harrington, one of his best friends. Kenneth Anger shows up in a black raincoat with black eyeliner and black fingernail polish. Now, this is 2007. He's an old man by this point. His shirt is open to the navel, revealing his giant Lucifer tattoo on his chest. And he's accompanied by a very young boyish photographer who takes photos of Kenneth Anger kissing the corpse of Curtis Harrington on the lips oh, before goodness. the body is cremated. Unreal. Photo op. Photo op with your best friend. Was the photographer Brian Butler? I don't know. I don't know who the photographer was. Um, um, that, story, that, story comes, that story comes from... Uh, from John Gilmore, the guy who wrote Severed, among other things. He's an interesting mm. Hollywood character himself. Well, and finally, I have one final story, and this is all real. And this connects back to Scorpio Rising, unless anyone else has anything to add. No, not the moment. Be- because I want, I want Bruce Byron to have the last word on Kenneth Anger, if I'm involved with this project. Bruce Byron was Scorpio and Scorpio Rising. Yeah. Bruce Byron was, uh, he claims he was the first midnight cowboy in Times Square. He was in Korea, the Korean War. He'd have sex with some men if they were very, very masculine. Now, he is married. This is early 60s. And he is involved with uh, motorcycles and his friends are. And Kenneth meets him in Times Square. And Kenneth sucks up to him and Bruce Byron introduces him to all of his friends who will become the men of Scorpio rising. Mm -hmm. 
he helps him. He, he introduces him to the party. He introduces them to the world. He explains motorcycles to him. Um, he, uh, he helps create the character of Scorpio. That wasn't him. He was uh, more of a normal person. Nobody could be Scorpio in real life, right? And he helped uh, the, all that stuff in the room that he has, you know, that crazy room with the James Dean memorabilia yeah. and everything and the, the comic strips in. That was all his stuff. But he decorated that to be like his room. He was married, like Stuart was talking about. He was married. He lived a normal life. He created this character. He told him, you know, it would be a good idea for this movie. We have an abandoned church. You could film a scene in there. Mm. And so he led anger to the church. And they filmed the desecration of the church scene where he urinates in the helmet and everything, where he's like doing the Nazi rant in the church. Mm -hmm. And... He's ripped off by anger. I meet this man in the West Village in the 1980s. He is wearing a black leather vest, hand-studded with black leather. I believe he had chaps on. And he's got the blonde hair, but by the, he's got a ponytail. He's got a ZZ Top thing starting to go on, you know, because he's middle-aged. And he's starting to get his Anton LaVey body, you know, and he's getting like a, a belly on him, you know. But he's got this black leather vest, and it says "The Real Scorpio Rising" on it. Oh wow! With studs. Wow. And he said, "He said Kenneth Anger ruined my life. He ruined the lives of all my friends. He made us look like we were gay." And he said, "Not that there's anything wrong with that." He told me he's not gay five times. He said like five times that he's not gay. I mean, and that you might be into it. That's not, not me, but <laughs> right. Right. He said in those days, 1963, being thought of as gay was really bad for them. He said they were all married. Their wives were there on all the shoots that he helped him. He was the set designer. He helped come up with the screenplay, if you can call it that. He helped get he kept casting the film. He co-created the main character of the film. And he never got any credit. At least Andy Warhol credited his stars, you know. Yeah. And that movie becomes yeah. a sensation. And and he never he would like they, he'd credit someone like Anna East Nin, you know, for being in uh, inauguration of the Pleasure Dome because she was a celebrity. But no, there's nothing. Or, or Marianne Faithful, you know. Mm -hmm. But he was never acknowledged. He was never given anything. He was never given a bone. And um, it, it ruined his life. And he said that Kenneth Anger is an opportunistic, cruel person who went out of his way to hurt him and his friends. And he has nothing but bad things to say about him. And wow. I wanted that to be the last word from someone who deserves a little bit of revenge, if you ask me. That is unreal. Yeah. yeah. So all those guys. He's not gay, by the way. He's not gay. He's, oh, okay, you didn't mention that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, so all the guys in Scorpio Rising, wrong with that. yeah, yeah, Not that all the guys in Scorpio Rising were straight, married men. They were right? all straight and married. Wow. I mean, I mean, I mean, maybe, maybe the Brando guy might have been a model or something. But I mean, mm. the guy, you, there's a difference between the homoerotic scene with the Brando lookalike that you've got behind you that yeah. you know that you identify with. But <laughs> so there's a difference between him and the guys that are working on the bikes. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. There's a difference. Like those guys who are working on the bikes are just guys that are into the hobby, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they're all married with kids and stuff. And he's turning them into these gay icons at a time when being out of the closet was really damaging to someone's reputation. So 
You the know. only saving grace, I guess, they got is that there was no cast credits, nothing, so no names printed. Yeah, I know, no but one. he resents that. He 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 really he he feels like he was ripped off. And you could make a point, but you could make a point of that because the thing about Scorpio, we talked about it. It's mm. the most dynamic of the films. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, it's, it's the one. Yeah, it's it's the, the one movie. that feels like it's like made now. It's not this like museum piece. Mm-hmm. Well, when and, Anger dies, and... it'll eventually be his. His obituary will be, or you know, his uh, thing will be in the Hollywood trades. Director of Scorpio Rising won't be director of Invocation of My Demon Brother or Pierce Moment. It'll be Scorpio Rising. I know. Yeah, I know. I think. I think. And that don't and think fireworks. he didn't know that. Oh yeah, but anyway. Yeah. But um. So. But, you know, before we go, I think something worth touching on is like there's a Kenneth Anger Facebook page that's been doing a lot of um, I don't know who these people are who run it, but they're like claiming yeah. that Brian Butler is like stealing. He's, Brian Butler's like, I guess, the 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 guy that Anger's kind of grifting off of now. Um, but they're, th- this page is claiming that Butler steals angers he's taking advantage of him and stealing his social security checks and blah 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 um i don't know but it's just it's one of those things that this page really beats the drum about uh right now um, I'd like i'm to know dubious how of all that i'd like to know how he's lived in 96 and still going he's got especially the way he apparently family. lives yeah i mean he's I mean, on drugs i guess there's something to all that uh magic he does <laughs> Or yeah, he's living a, longer than Jack LaLanne. Yeah, probably the blood transfusions like Sir Run Run Shaw. <clears throat> Richard. Yeah. What do you? Uh, I I I know we're trying to wrap it up, but do, mm. have you heard the story about why Keith Richards cut off Kenneth Anger? No, but I I know that I know that uh, Mick Jagger was supposedly at the peak of his egomania at that time. Hmm. You know that's like sicky fingers time when they're when the, when when uh, Keith and Anita are living in the house in like what is it Mississippi or Louisiana with their with their uh that their bloodhound named heroin and practicing black magic and stuff. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I heard that's that, really uh, decadent. Kenneth Anger was like, "Oh, you know, Keith, you should change your door to gold or something." And he said he went to bed and he woke up and the door was gold and he was like, "Get, I, we're not talking to this guy yes. anymore." It's a very strange story. <laughs> That's crazy. Like, I'm sorry, but I think he has powers. <laughs> <laughs> I think he probably does. Well, we'll know if he does because if he listens to this, then we're all dead oh, in a week. And if you want, I love you, Kenneth. It was all in fun. <laughs> yes, he's gonna put a curse on us. Yeah. Uh, yeah, did, yeah. Uh, but if you want to see a recent weird Kenneth Anger film, there's oh, not film, but Somebody like went to the Chateau Marmont with him and filmed yes. him walking around there. This is pretty recent. That's Carl Abrahamson. Carl okay. Abrahamson, who is a good friend of both uh, of both uh, Levey and Anger, and he, he's filmed a couple of recent, for more recent, you know, in the past five years or so, interviews with him. Uh, he's something... an interesting character too. There's something on this Blu-ray set I've got. Uh, the man we want to hang. Which kind of thing is done? Which is a that's a film about Crowley. Crowley, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's basically it's... just a montage of his paintings. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I... That's all it is. It I, it's not that interesting. And there's yeah, a documentary... Crowley was not a very good painter. <laughs> and there's a documentary on this as well about anger called Anger Me. 
um, mm. from 2006. I'm sure it's interesting. I mean, yeah. he's really a raconteur. I saw a recent interview, not recent, but I mean like maybe 15 years ago. Um, Curtis Harrington is still alive in it with the two of them. And he's downing Red Bulls. And, and just like he's, like he's like an ADD kid, like he always was. He's just running around and they can't get him to sit down and answer questions. You know, he's like a grown man. Like a senior citizen acting like a four-year-old, you know, and he's disciplined, <laughs> you know. Octogenarian. Uh, he he Bull, said yeah. something that I think is really true. He said he was a child prodigy that never grew up, that never developed developed beyond child prodigy. Mm. And you can see that. I mean, all of his obsessions are the same obsessions he had when he was thirteen. You know, I'm sort of like that too, but yeah, not that bad. Yeah. Um. Anyway, we'll wrap this up. This has been fantastic. I mean, I'm I personally I'm glad we held off nearly 13 years. Me too. Because had we done it back in 2010, it would not have been even close to what we got. So, thank you, Dan, for coming in. Um, would you come back in the future for another episode? I've got two in mind. Do one or two. It's up to you. Can't stop the music, obviously. The Village People film. I'm sure you've seen <laughs> that. Oh, of course. I mean, if you got some dirt about that, that'd be good. Well, this is I could look into it. All right. Well, there's a documentary I want to see, I haven't seen it yet, called Wrangler. You know who I'm talking about? Oh, the one about Jack Wrangler? Jack Wrangler, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Oh, is it it's good? Interesting. Yeah, I'd like he's to see a it. Really, he's an interesting person. Yeah, I thought it'd be one. He is a really interesting person. I mean, he's a porn star, top-of-the-line top gay porn star who marries a woman twice his age at the peak of his fame. Yeah, I've, I've seen him in the straight ones, and I thought there's something not right about it. Well, not right, but you know, there's and for the common, he's a very good-looking guy with a fantastic build. Right. Mm-hmm. He, he marries he marries Margaret Whiting, the big band singer. But I think I think what they did was really interesting, and I think there's a lot of gay men that would be up for that. You know, like mm. like uh, you know these young gay guys. Like, what if you had the chance to marry Lady Gaga? You know what I mean? Or you know, Liza Minnelli, maybe not Liza, she's getting up there, but you know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. some gay, like Madonna or something like, oh, you got, oh. what if you got a chance to marry your dream, you know, star? Liza Minnelli's already married a gay man. At, uh... Yeah, she has been. Yeah. Most of them have, but yeah. Yeah. you know what I mean? That's interesting. The other possibility that I was thinking of is something that I shared with John and Hunter is the, uh, the uh, favorite films of Anton LaVey. <laughs> That's a pretty insane <laughs> list. How was that? Of, uh, films. It, was, it was published by Blanche Barton in one of the Church of Satan uh, websites, but I think it's in one of her books as well. And it's basically like the, like the top Anton LaVey's 90 favorite films. A lot of Edward G. Robinson. Um, some real choice films like uh, The Car, you know about that black oh my curse that goodness. most yeah, people yeah. down and and uh, what's the one black zoo about <laughs> this uh, evil sadistic zookeeper that kills people with his lions looks really good Siegfried <laughs> and Roy story yeah All and right. you can just imagine you can just imagine like Kenneth and Anton sitting on that black couch. You know, eating popcorn and watching it while the lion roars in the basement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most likely. So anyway, strange, <laughs> strange duo. Just, indeed. just, just, just putting it out there. Yeah, 
All right. Well, this was a delightful show. Uh, it's a lot of fun recording this. I hope yes. it's enjoyable. Lots of good stuff. Lots of. I'm glad that all this time I've wasted, I was finally able to use it for something. Yes. There you go. Yes. Uh, no, it's, it's great. And I'm glad we got a lot of stories out there, stories cleared up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, all these movies are on YouTube. You can watch them. Uh, they're easy to find. Um, or get this can... uh, Blu-ray set, this British Blu-ray set. It is outstanding by BFI. And I think, BFI, I think it's yeah. available on DVD through Phantoma from R1, but you'll definitely want to go Blu-ray if you can. Yeah, it's uh, pretty sure it's a region-free effort anyway, so it doesn't oh, it matter. Is. Oh, yeah, I think I so. Go. I think so. A lot of the films you can watch over and over again. And even even Lucifer Rising, I enjoyed it a lot more this time on this yeah, rewatch I, than I had before. And the Boussole score is not bad. It's pretty good. It, no, it's damn, not. It's pretty I damn think good. it's great. Yeah, I do. Um, I, do. I think it's great. Um, I and think good for him for finishing the job, you know. Good for him for sticking with it, you know. And Yeah. Yeah. I, I had heard that Boussole, like... Uh, doesn't have nice things to say about anger these days, but um, they go back and forth. Yeah, they've kind of been hot and cold over the years. Seems to be yeah. a common um, thread with anger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no kidding. Um, crazy these devil worshippers. I know he's a Thelemite, but you know. Uh, yeah. Anyway, what uh, Lucifer anything, worshippers? What fools these mortals be? What yells? <laughs> you know what? You know what it's uh, from? Do you know what that line's from? from? Uh, that's from uh, b- 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 oh my gosh, it's Midsummer Night's Dream. Midsummer Night's Dream, yes, yeah. And wasn't um, the character's name Puck in that as well? Yes, Mickey yeah. Rooney. Yeah, that's where that comes from. Who oh, it's, it's from in, that one, is it? Okay, yep. Who from appears in uh, doesn't Mickey Rooney appear in Scorpio Rising? Yeah, yeah, as Puck. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm serious, think, really? Yeah, oh, and he's like. When I went to his place, just uh, the wild one just happened to be on TV. Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, sure. Happened oh, we didn't mention TV. We didn't mention one more thing about Scorpio. That Jesus film supposedly anger claims it was delivered to him by mistake, so he yes. thought it was a sign from the gods to put it in the movie. And it he is pretty that, funny. He said that it was supposed to go to a church that had the same house number as him a few streets over. And right. he claims, he claims also, I don't know how this would happen, but he claims that like the Lutheran church sued him over him using the clips. <laughs> the it's pretty something. funny though. Especially when for- they play, I would, fo- I will follow him. You know, I, that's yes. hilarious. Yes. Yes. That's really funny. Yeah. Um, and like with the man and machine thing, like some of the songs are like about like being wind up. There's a wind up doll uh-huh. song. Uh-huh. Hit, hit the road, Jack, when he's about to head off to the party. Yeah. Yeah. And wipe out. You know, when they're, when out, they're yeah. doing the weird like biker initiation, he plays the song Torture. And mm-hmm. and the song Blue Velvet's in there as well. Yep. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Very Welcome much. Which uh, is also used in a, in a sexual fetishistic way by David Lynch. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, well, anything to add before we go, Dan? I'm good. I'm glad. It was really nice to talk to you guys. It's nice that I get to talk to you in person when we do these shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's really great having you on again. We really... really I, I'm not going to be able to go to work tonight without thinking about that fucking image of anger just staring at me for the last two and a half hours. This is... Just... <laughs> <laughs> 
I'll just go to work and like in the, the seat next to me in the car will be that image of Amy as I piss on You gotta hand it to the guy that he can still be so disturbing, you know. I mean, you really gotta hand it to him. He's uh he's made a, a lifestyle of it, that's all. He's a showman, you gotta say that for him. Can say that. I all, all I can say yeah. is I I cannot even dream of what's gonna be released when anger goes. Just the stuff I know it, it, it is gonna Yeah. There's... Hey, just one I mean, last the... thing, Dan. Do you reckon he's got a, a number of Hollywood people under his thumb because of the info he's got on them that he could publish? Um, it's possible. I don't know. I mean, most of his gossip is really old. Everyone's dead. You know, the mm. only person who ever sued him was uh, Gloria Swanson. Nobody sued him over Hollywood Babylon, uh, except for Gloria Swanson. And the thing that he had written about her had been written by her own press agent for a press release. So mm-hmm. the judge threw it out. And then in Hollywood Babylon, he has a picture of her saying, ding dong, the witch is dead. Excuse me. Um, he was thrilled that Gloria Swanson had died. I mean, they hated each other apparently, but mm-hmm. other than that, nobody ever sued him. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, again, it's, 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 it's all within the context of gossip. So it's like, take it all with a grain of salt. Yeah. Yeah. I guess so. All right. Okay. Well, we better wrap all this right. up because we are now hitting on two and a half hours, which is, uh, yeah, this is a long stunning. one. And it's, uh, or all killer, no filler. Yeah, it's really this good. This one. Yeah. So. And if the wife fucks off and leaves you alone, stop messaging me one way. Um, all right. So all right. Anyway, we'll stick cool. around for the Nez for his piece. And uh thank you, Dan. And please come back again soon. And we'll thank you. think of something. And um we'll say adios. Adios. Yeah. Peace Bye out. everybody. And now it's time for Rue, Britannia, with your foreign correspondent, the Nez. In a movie that will surprise nobody other than dead people who gathered the Oscars to celebrate those already in purgatory, BBC TV presenter, farcer, ex-footballer and left-wing punchbag Gary Lineker got into a stew this week when he tweeted that the Tory government was equivalent to Nazi Germany. This over immigration policy, specifically illegal immigration policy. This also on a £1.3 million annual salary funded entirely by the BBC licence fee payer. Not content with the idea of not backing down for breach of BBC rules and guidelines on impartiality and bias, Lineker effectively took it upon himself this week to indeed call BBC management arseholes and then brag that they would never actually sack him. 24 hours later, he was effectively suspended by BBC management from all presentational duties. Sometimes the light at the end of a tunnel is often sometimes the light of an oncoming train. Anyway, the BBC have announced that they'll be trying to advise Gary that heading to many footballs may actually be somewhat consistent with the idea of left-wing propaganda until a clinical neurologist can actually legally prove he's fit to be dismissed. His Twitter account is hardly exactly fresh and fragrant after all. Deja view, and in the battle to stop the boats of illegal immigrants invading Britain every week from France, 
and elected Indian Prime Minister Rishi Sunak took a shot at the victory lap by announcing that half a billion pounds of British taxpayers' money was to be handed over to France. Well, money is effectively useless unless you actually spend it, really. This also on top of the £1 billion of British taxpayers' money the Tories have given to France over the course of the last 13 years, again to basically stop illegal immigrants, even though, frankly, the money has stopped fuck all at all whatsoever. The Tories insisted that this table would actually be somewhat different, in that the French would effectively use the money to continue to dump its illegals inside the Italian border. However, the real difference is that, unlike soft Johnny English, the Italians don't pay France a penny, and they're still pissed. Scotland, and following the resignation of Scottish First Minister and Scottish Nationalist Party leader Nicola Sturgeon for her staunch defence of Wokes RGT, the Scottish National Party's leadership election campaign swung underway with three candidates vying to win the prize of a wooden spoon after all. Kate Forbes, who openly voted against same-sex marriage, Muslim Sharia Loon Hamza Yosef, who hates everybody and everything except himself because he's a Muslim, and professional jam sucker Ash Wigan. In accordance with SNP House rules, voting is confined to automated membership, threats of violence, woke Muslim gaslighting, and a bit of voter intimidation. In a country where heroin is the national dish, ice cream vans come carrying machine guns, or self-pity is a national sport, any winner will be expected to take the party into the 2024 general election with a losing hand. Okaidi Wu. Further notes in passing, celebrity, psychic, and TV fortune teller mystic Meg passed away this week. She clearly didn't see that one coming. Tory MP Steve Bryan was accused by the Commons of taking cash for lobbying, which is to say that although you can't actually buy an MP at Westminster these days, you can certainly show us how rent one. And three teenagers were killed in Wales this week as a result of a high-speed car crash. All which goes to show that the enduring appeal of Mad Max 2 lives on. Pax. Thank you for listening to the Midnight Movie Cowboys. For more information, go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com. For feedback, comments, or show suggestions, go to midnightmoviecowboys at gmail.com. Like what you hear? Head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Hear us on Stitcher Radio. Head over to stitcher.com and download the app. Want to help the show out? Head on over to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and hit the PayPal donate. We appreciate all donations of any denomination. Find us on Twitter at MMCowboys. Like us on Facebook. Head over to facebook.com type in Midnight Movie Cowboys. Hit the like button over there. Want to friend us personally on Facebook or follow us on Twitter? Go to www.midnightmoviecowboys.com and find the links from there on the right-hand side. Thanks for listening. See you all next week.